Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 28 for yeah. December 15th. And it is the final regular episode of 2023. Today we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. You can ask me before we start which number it is. I'll have it on hand, you know? I always number them in the file names. I'm just trying to help you out. I'm just yeah, that system <laughs> never ran into hiccups in the olden times. Uh, once once we got up past, like, episode 400. Uh, I don't yeah, remember. It's not, it's not uh, as though the, fa- the fandom had to establish a fucking website to explain what it is. What number it was. Mr. Producer. <laughs> <laughs> when we restarted the numbers, it became a little easier, okay? <laughs> okay, well, you let us know when the numbers get too high for your, for your, for your big brain. <laughs> that was Patrick Klopek. Hi. <laughs> And we also have Janet Garcia. Hello. As always, we're a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. Our website has links to our memberful page where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans that give you access to exclusive Remap content and help keep (laughs) us going as a team. The way you said that. It does sound like there's going to be picks. (laughs) Like the minute I said it, it was like I don't think Ooh, that I might that that intonation might be promising more than people get. It's like ad free podcasts and Patrick and I talking about sump pumps. Yeah. Like that's that, that's basically what you're gonna get. Want to see pictures of a three row car? Ooh. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, uh, we're about to go on on holiday break. Uh, we're we're wrapping up our we're wrapping up our uh, you know worldly affairs here and preparing for for vacation time, uh, which means it's a, it's a little bit hectic and there's also a lot of things to look forward to, namely you know doing less and uh, you know hanging out. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, while we're on break, of course, you're going to be able to hear us talk about our games of the year. Uh, we all played. So many games. Uh, I feel so good about just like how much I was able to cover, uh, how many games, and you know, not just the big stuff. Like I was in there with the, you know, all those indies. Like mm-hmm. just, just, uh, just making sure that I, you know, my list was pretty definitive uh, based Rob, on first hand experience. It's supposed with to be ten games, not twenty five. Stop it, Rob. <laughs> You've lost it. Uh. Yeah, so you can you can look forward to we did two episodes on that. You'll those will be released while we are all on break. Uh, but last week, like right before, well, actually hours after we recorded, uh, you know, our show with Ren, that was the evening of the Game Awards, and there's been you know some as there always is. There's some Game Awards discourse. I think real mm-hmm. quick, Janet, were you there? Yeah. So what's that like? Um, it was my second year attending, so. It it's cool being there because it's like you're there in person. Uh, obviously, it's the fun of you know dressing up and you see everybody. There's usually like mixers before, mixers after, so that's all fine and dandy. Actually, being there is also a little rough because it's so long. And if you get up to leave and you come back in, they're like, you can't sit down until there's like a proper break because they like don't want to show like a crowd moving around. What's a so proper you, break? What are they? Like the, is that, is like that when why they, they have like, like ads and stuff? Oh, so their I version think. of ads, which are just more 
trailers and a show full of trailers, that is when the movement gets like people yeah. can go to the bathroom, etc. Well, specifically can come back down because I don't think they ever make it so that you can't get up and leave because I probably not allowed to do that. But for coming back in, it's got to be <laughs> gotcha. like it can't be when the main stuff is happening on stage. So you're basically locked in there. But I knew that from last year because last year I made that mistake. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm like missing stuff because I'm just yeah, do you even have down. a chance of making like a bathroom run in like those commercial breaks. You're not going to come like you're going to probably miss something. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're probably not going to be able to get out. Yeah, just for a little bit, because yeah. there's like no lines, really. Like, it's pretty smooth. But then again, I'm using the women's restroom. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I, I get in and out. I can't speak for everybody's oh, that's weird, though, But usually the women's restroom situation tends to be worse. Yeah, but when you're at a game thing, that's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe Game Awards is different. I'm not really thinking of the the demographics as deeply as I am at, like, you know, a convention or something where it's like, oh, well, it's all five of us here. You know what I mean? It's like not mm-hmm. that bad. Um yeah. Anyway, different problems our industry has. But um, I definitely think it was interesting. Like the interesting angle, too, from like the discourse stuff that I think we're going to get into is the being there and kind of like noted. And it's, it's silly because it's all in real time. Like you guys are watching it, but you're watching the same thing I'm watching. But it's like being there in real time and kind of looking back and, and being like the first time I'm like, huh, that timer is like really short. And then and then jumping online and eventually slowly but surely everyone's like, yo, there's like no time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, and we're all kind of like sort of talking about that and like uncovering that like within, you know, being seated there. Um, So that was kind of also an interesting angle. And then there's like a couple little things that are slightly different. Like I heard that for y'all, Anthony Mackie sounded like he was just yelling at nobody, but like the audience was like shouting stuff at him like the whole time he was on stage. So it's like Mm. that those things are a little interesting because it's like, oh, y'all just got like random, like, like he's talking to nobody or little stuff like the musical performance for Final Fantasy seven for y'all. It was perfectly synced up like the video and the singer. But for us, it was like slightly out of sync. Little stuff like that. Oh, weird. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's really a show not meant for the audience uh, in, in person, uh, really. So that I guess that part doesn't super shock me that it's you, not. You can see the Muppet hands depending on where you're sitting. I saw that you were you were <laughs> I believe I, I saw an exchange in which you were asked to take a picture to dispel yeah, someone's like, can I see the Muppet being handled? And I was like, I'm going to do as best as this iPhone camera can zoom in. <laughs> <laughs> one of the weaker Muppet bits they've done. The one last uh, year I thought yeah. was much better. Yes. Uh, if memory serves. Yeah, this one, this one just didn't, this one just didn't sing. Uh, this is what happens when you don't have Fozzie Bear uh, doing punch <laughs> up before the, before yeah. the show. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the other part like, I feel like this part of the discourse happens every year as well, which is the, like, it's too commercial, it's too much about ads, which is true, but also, like, trite, I feel like. It's kind of the weird thing. Like, I'm just, I made my peace with what the Game Awards are some time ago. It is always annoying to see people getting, like, played off the stage really quickly. And it is funny that, like, it looks like Keeley kind of went on the defensive about that because there were so many kind of graceless moments coming from the production of this where it's just like, uh, hey, congratulations. You're one of the few people to actually get to even take an award on the stage, which I think unequivocally does suck. The fact that like tons of like major categories are not awarded on the stage uh, absolutely sucks. Uh, but beyond that, like the fact that it's so much a show about like showing trailers and, uh, you know, being a, effectively a promotional vehicle 
it's been that as long as I watched it. Like I no longer expect this to turn into, uh, you know, an actual like good award show, a, right. a critically credible <laughs> award show. I just don't. I don't have that expectation. So that's a part where it's like, yeah, I wish. I, I wish games did have something better uh, along those lines. But also, I'm no longer someone who's like. I don't come away from the game awards being like, this is a travesty. It's a promotional event. You know, it's, it's our winter, it's our winter trailer fest. I mean, I think that's right, but I, as so many other things follow, this is the same week that E3 died, you know, formally. How many um, times can a thing die? Well, th- that's this true. Time, there are, it, in in many ways, this time for real, you know, it feels like this time is, is for real. Um, they've really like given up on, on it this time and given formal interviews saying, yeah, we're, we're not doing this anymore. But, you know, by, both by circumstance and by intent, Keeley has ended up with a tremendous amount of influence and power over the how games are presented to the public sphere. Uh, it's something he asked for, but then also I think a lot of it was just given because of <laughs> events that have transpired around him. You know, it's the rapid rise of direct-to-consumer marketing events because of COVID, uh, uh, which was already happening because of companies like Nintendo popularizing, like, that level of control. Um, It's E3 just completely fumbling a transition to having a consumer show and having any sort of, uh, like, public offering that that made any sense relative to other events in the market. And so you're right, Rob, that what else do you expect from this award show? It It has shown us what it is over and over again and yet it's more powerful than ever. It's more influential than ever. And pointedly, the tone that Keeley strikes on the Game Awards, the prestige he yeah. presents it as relative to the Spike TV Game Awards, which that is not all his fault. That that was a deeply compromised product for reasons that are well beyond uh, Keeley's control, given the channel it was on, the era it was made. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to cast aside a lot of the issues with the Spike TV era, but... He presents the Game Awards as the Oscars of video games, and that's that's an unfair weight because, like that, like that's not what they are. But at the stage that you start saying we're here to celebrate the magic of video games that brings everybody together, you know, at a, at a certain point, well, you've asked for it. You've asked to be punched in the eye uh, as a result of how you've structured it, and I think this year was particularly egregious, right? You have. You know, one of the most celebrated games of the year, Baldur's Gate 3, the head of that studio, like in a suit of armor, eulogizing like a member of their team that passed. Wrap it the fuck up. You have uh, members of that team going, I got wrapped up in the moment and then forgot to announce the game was on Xbox. And it's like, that's fucked. Like you should be allowed to like be lost in the moment and not also have the marketing drop that goes goes with it. And so... I do. I, you're right. I think it is healthy to just take the game wars as they are. But I think it's also true that the game wars are asking us to think of them in a different way. And I think that's why the criticism felt more acute this year than others, because as more things fall away, more weight falls to this. And, you know, that's that, that's from all angles. It's Keely being on the defensive in the beginning where it's like you motherfuckers like. I'm not going to talk about the layoffs. I'm not going to talk about uh, Gaza. Uh, games are good. Games feel game good. Like, why, <laughs> why isn't that good enough for you? And it was a very defensive posture from him. And even his follow-up about the the amount of time that people got to present, 
I mean, the phrasing of that tweet was, well, I, you know, we were being a little fast. I asked, I, you know, I asked, like, kind of like offloading it to someone else. Like, well, the production team was really there just was, yeah, some real shuffling. Under the bus. Yeah, uh, you know, like a producer was really just trying to, and I told Those them, guys hey, in the truck sucked. <laughs> we got to respect these game developers. Like, Jeff, yeah. it's your show. Like, you fund it. You send uh, pictures all year long of the work you're doing in meetings. Like, the buck stops with you. And so, it's, don't ask for this weight if you don't want to carry it on your back. I think, it's, too, for me, the sort of difference, because Robbie, yeah, you're totally right. Like, it's been this way, where it's like, oh, this is the same thing we, like, talk about every year, how it's just like an ad fest. And, yeah, it is. And I have also pretty much accepted that as well, even though I think we've, I don't know, we, we don't have the, was it the Chic Quattro robot anymore? And, like, I think that's <laughs> probably for the better, because that was a weird moment. Um, but, yeah, I think it was it was the speeches that really, like, turned me into the Joker, because I'm actually kind of a... I don't know. I don't want to say I'm a TGA defender, but I do like the TGAs. I enjoy like, you know, being, you know, I've usually been part of like the jury to some degree, like guessing, you know, what's going to win what, seeing what wins what. I enjoy that stuff, this kind of spectacle of it. It's like, all right, this is, is it, is it perfect? No, but like, it's fine, whatever. Um, And this year I'm like, damn, I got nothing really good to say because I think it was just so egregious. The degree to which this was an overcorrection from Christopher Judge's seven or eight minute speech. Um, and I think especially, you know, I was talking about it yesterday with um, my colleagues over on the Indie Council, which I don't think that episode is, mine goes up today. I don't know, whatever, right? Um, it, you know, Jenny Wyndham pointed out that, especially in this year, considering the layoffs, um, or maybe it wasn't Jenny, maybe it was someone else, but mentioning that this was like the worst time ever to do this. Like, this is a time that you really like want to be really, almost egregious about how much you have developers backs um, in a scenario like this and for it to not have that space is an issue. And really quick, I also want to just because seeing, you know, a lot of the conversations around this, there have been people that mentioned, well, like, oh, well, I mean, how long does it need to be? Fine, make it 60, you know, and it's not just that, you know, I do think you can figure out like time limits that do the best of both worlds where you don't have maybe seven minute speeches, but you don't have these like quick shuffles. But I think what people don't realize too is when you have a timer like that, even if you were even if you were only gonna talk for 30 seconds, it changes yep. how you like conceive of information. You know? Like may, if you had something pre-written, maybe you're like, oh my God, it's too long, or maybe you're suddenly like, okay, shoot, what do I definitely wanna say? Cause I'm I'm not gonna be I don't think I'm gonna have time to read it as it, you know, you start to scramble. Like there's a lot of, you know, those are it's not like there's um Speech is submitted beforehand, and that runs on the teleprompter. P- like, like people are going off the cuff or off of what they've written, like on their phone or on a note card. You and know, you're also not- emotional, right? Yes. Time warps when you are put in a high stress public position, and so you might have in the bathroom timed this out. This sure. is cool. I hit 45 seconds. I'm going to nail it. That 45 seconds is different. Once you're on that stage, exactly. it's not the same 45 seconds. And there's so many ways to like facilitate that right it's like there aren't speeches like handed beforehand that are preloaded in there it just says there's a timer and you're like oh my god and like and then you have to go and like that's i mean i've never had to do that on a stage that like i don't you know what i mean like i don't know how how that would hit so that that was really my main thing uh that sort of rubbed me the wrong way from the game awards is someone that normally enjoys them i think more than most people, but I left feeling really like it just felt dark leaving. You know what I mean? It's like, how was it? I'm like, 
I mean, I wish it was different, you know, it was just like it had a <laughs> it had like a negative energy, um, I think, for at least for myself. And I think a lot of people in the industry, because the sort of fun interpersonal part was like so truncated. Yeah, well, one thing I uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Kata. Oh, I was just going to echo some of that. It's just like it feels also particularly like you were saying earlier, Patrick, defensive in um like it's easy to look at the chris judge thing and be like that was that was a that was the problem they're trying to fix here but that gets fixed with like a three minute timer right like (laughs) and a plan for not just having al pacino stand off to the side being like well i guess we're just gonna watch this train yeah go into the canyon (laughs) yeah um and it feels uh, i don't know it's hard to not see it as a reaction to the multiple angles of criticism that he was receiving before the show about what the game awards will or will not talk about or allow on the stage. Um, you know, obviously the future class, uh, like, uh, letter. And, um, I believe, I forget exactly which organization was outside, uh, protesting that night, even, Mm -hmm. um, that it feels like it was like, well, if we give them so little time, they will only be able to thank people and not say anything else, right? Like, there will not be the space or chance for anyone to bring up these other topics that I don't want to talk about, right? Um, it's hard to not read it that way, I think, this year especially. Um, and it's just like, I don't know. Like, I, I understand that, like, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't, fully understand obviously i don't know what the financials are of putting on this show and like how much uh the like advertisements are required to like make that thing go obviously there's some uh math to be done there about like the only reason they can afford to do a certain level of spectacle or have a certain amount of people because i assume you're not getting a hollywood actor without i have to imagine it's a lot i remember uh, over the summer for this for summer games fest uh uh, Steven Satillo did some reporting over at Axios about the tickets they were and weren't selling for mm-hmm. the like in-person event. And granted, it was like during the week, it was an awkward time. How would people get there and lost? Like there were yeah. reasons that, but like they were essentially giving tickets away and like couldn't fill the seats. So yeah. I, I think it's a reasonable assumption that to, to a, a great degree, a lot of the commercialism is a function of, how do you fund the orchestra and like all the other parts of the the thing that goes together? And I mean, I'm and sure it, Keely makes some money out of it, but I, I suspect that that isn't intensely tied to to how it works. And like part of part of it, then at that point, just kind of feels like there's something being done about calling the first thirty minutes pre-show and giving out awards during that pre-show. The the like yeah. what it like it like signals an, a level of hierarchy and importance to certain awards and others, which like obviously there is some like people care about things more or less, but it still sucks that like if you one of the one of the awards during the pre-show, it's not even part of the actual show, right? Like it's like just make it make it that the whole show, like make that part of the show proper i don't know like it feels like a weird delineation when it was even advertised as starting at 7 30 and what started at 7 30 was the pre-show uh and it's like okay then why is it called pre-show if what you're advertising is just this is where it starts um it feels like it puts a, a strange yeah it's a strange like level of court categorization where it's like well we don't we well, don't need to pay as much attention to these it's fine funny, um, yeah. here's my hobby horse with the, with the game awards the way they've always done this is and i think this sort of speaks to like just why it's not a credible award show 
we did this multiple times as Waypoint. We were not invited to be judges this year as Remap. <laughs> uh, no love. But but the problem is, it is a it's a crap voting process uh, because like this thing is engineered to make sure that big like tentpole releases from major publishers rack up award wins because the way th- the way the jury is selected the way the way selection works is the these nomination process goes out to all these outlets and you know people put forward a bunch of picks for games in certain categories and then the ballots come back and you end up with the things that people are going to pick is like what's what is what have the most people played it's not yeah. like there is zero chance that a brilliant, uh, you know, indie game or, or big indie or strategy game is going to make it any way into this. Any sort of specialist game is going to make it in a serious competition because it is simply not enough of like a thing where everyone is like, fuck it, I'll play that and I'll, I'll give it a try. So you have all these categories then are getting awarded, like best fighting game. When we were voting on that frequently, like one person on staff, maybe two, but rare, like never more than two. <laughs> had anything to say about any fighting games at all. Like it would be like two, you know, like, you know, of the fighting games that came out, maybe, you know, uh, Austin played one and like, you know, Kato played two. <laughs> we had to nominate three or something. Yeah. Cast votes. Like, so, uh, what's the third? Well, Guilty Gear is usually good. Our friends like Guilty Gear. So fuck it. Yeah. What's the latest Guilty? You know, that'd be the process. And so you have like, you'll have a fighting game award. Mm hmm voted on by people who are just like i don't know like street fighter right like street fighter i heard that that reviewed well right like that's that's fine i mean i i know i noted this during the actual uh award ceremony where it was best vr slash ar game um and the games that were not under vr are just largely ports or big franchise like vr whatever you think about like has a rich library of games available on the quest store on steam there were incredible games released this year, basically none of which were recognized here. It was the same symptoms. Like, uh, yeah, I heard Gran Turismo got a VR mode. Like, I'm sure that was great. Like, Horizon, like, yeah, they gave that a VR. Like, and it was fine, but there were much better VR games. And all you can see it here, which is people Googling, like, best VR games of 2023. And then that's going to lead to the best SEO stuff which is then leads to that SEO stuff then appearing as the nominees for best VR and AR, AR game. And that was take away from Resident Evil's VR mode, which is good, but it just goes to show the exact same problem that you're talking about, Rob, which is you have folks voting broadly in categories that they either don't fully understand or have no expertise in. And so you end up nominating the most popular things. And then, and then even those popular things, not getting a chance to, I take the award for the popular thing that they want, especially when the show like pretends to like be able to award something that's technical or technical adjacent. What's the best? Like, like game direction is a fuzzy term. Like who, like Mm -hmm. who leads, who like manages and leads a game through production is not a uniform. Like that is not a uniform thing from studio to studio. Like the way these, these things are run uh, changes a lot, but we, we have a category that a bunch of, bunch of people uh, in the media who are renowned for not knowing how the fuck games are made are voting on like, you know, that game that seemed like it was really well made and you know, sure. Maybe, uh, I think this year probably they did. They did find the game that, that fit that bill. Uh, I mean, sometimes but, that's like game of the year part two, right? Which is often on the Oscars. Well, they do the best picture, best picture thing, yeah, best and director. best director. Yeah. It's not always necessarily 
who did the best but they direction. they can't even get their shit together on like, are we, ta- are we awarding licensed soundtrack or are we awarding score? Like, yeah. we can't even get our shit together on like, <laughs> did someone compose good music or did somebody put together a baller playlist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both are equally good. Or like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Best, <laughs> anyway, best the, score in music going to fucking Final Fantasy when Alan Wake was in the running. I'm like losing my goddamn mind. Even the fucking know, people, Hi-Fi Rush like people, was in the running for that one. <laughs> like, what happened? I feel like people did like. I don't know. Final Fantasy was weird this year. I'm like, I don't know. People really liked it, but then some people were like, that game did have a pretty good, good soundtrack. That's like, the thing, it's a I bad heard, game, but it had I don't a pretty know. good soundtrack. People said that the that. song, the songs were good, but um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely. There's a lot of problems. So the thing is, like, you know, as much as I think myself and everyone else tries, right? At the end of the day, like, we're not going to be complete experts in everything, even though, like, I think that would be maybe the end goal to some degree. For me, not the fighting game part, because I'm never going to just, it's not of interest to me. <laughs> some category <laughs> should be invite only. We're going to talk to yeah, these okay. people, specifically of this outlet. Yes. Like, here's someone we're going to talk, we're gonna talk yes. to. Yes. Um, and that's kind of what I was going to bring up. Like, I think there as much as I, you know, this is really critics choice awards and I don't want to be dismissive of, you know, myself or my peers expertise and what they have to say about games. But the reality is we're not complete experts in every like facet of what goes into making games. I think we're really good at like generally surfacing or talking about video games more broadly. But I do think when it comes to even something like sound design, a fact, a sector of games that I feel like I'm slightly more tuned into than other people, I still haven't like studied sound design like that like my brother did sound design stuff and i was like that's interesting i'll watch a couple videos but that's it but that's (laughs) still more than a lot of people which at that point you know like can i is my opinion on music worthless no but i don't think i'm the best person to pick best you know score because i'm not in tuned with music at that level it's like you know i i have i listen to a lot on spotify but that doesn't make me in tune to like listening to music on a more formal technical scale. Um, yeah, I think there's space for that for sure. I mean, th- now we're getting really into the weeds though. I don't think we're well, ever going to get that. But I think, but for me, it's not, for me, it's not so much into the weeds. Cause I think the thing that bugs me about these things is you forget like the, the genre specialties where sure. it's like, they're not, they're not identifying the true best fighting game. Yeah. This isn't the true best racing game, but it is the fact that like for some of these awards, it is not set up to actually like highlight, people's contributions um yeah. it's set up to award to highlight people who have a important title with a major release this year and i think that's where that's where this process bugs me a lot is it's like we're gonna you know because there's these 10 poll releases we're just gonna keep like sort of everyone nominated them because everyone played them and then everyone played them so they had an opinion on when they voted uh it's you know you're just you, it's an award show that's just like not set up to actually highlight people doing any work below like the you know highest levels of uh, a major game development studio, which sucks. Yeah, that and is there true. Are, one. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say there are ways to if it was desired to change that because I, you know when you you're right when you're voting like at scale it is just gonna be it's like oh you played you know. I don't know, whatever title it's like, okay, you and like one other person that's voting played it. So like, there's literally zero chance that it's ever going to make it because it's not going to get voted on enough. Um, and there are award shows that do that differently. Like I know for, um, the, is it like, it's a sector of the BAFTAs that like was involved in once. Like we had, it was just like a jury of us and we like talked about it almost like the way, like there's, you know, end of the year gaming podcast content. It was like that, but within 
all of us talking about it. Um, and that made for, I think, different results than if we had just like, well, I'm just going to write this down on a piece of paper, or paper and then that's, you know, the decision. Like, voting is never going to be as, in a way, accurate as a discussion because voting just comes down to numbers and then you're done. So it's like there's not really space for, oh, wow, like this thing's really brilliant and I wouldn't have known it because I don't have the expertise of my colleague or I didn't have that experience. But they seem so passionate about it that we're going to champion it, even though a lot of us on staff maybe didn't, you know, you don't end up having those moments because like they're impossible to have if it's just which one has the most numbers attached to it. There's always room for a Kojima moment, however. <laughs> well, hold, hold on. One, one, one last point before we, before we get there. Yeah. I, I hate to step on your, your extremely good uh, segue, but I'm going to read, I want to read a couple of awards from last year. Uh, mobile game of the year, Marvel snap, uh, game design, Elden ring, uh, game direction, Elden ring. Am I reading from the Dice Awards voted on by developers or am I reading from the Game Awards? It doesn't matter. The Game won for both. And so if you actually go through the history of the Dice Awards voted by developers and the Game Awards, it syncs up more often developers than you think. Developers play less than we do. I know, I'm just, mm-hmm. it, I, but I'm just saying it is, it, it is it, for all the, the, the criticisms of like where we arrive at, like developers voting on their own industry often – come to similar conclusions. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean that there aren't better fixes for it, but I, that is like, no, that is it's not just a game awards thing. Like no. there, there is something tied up in, in uh, uh, awarding, you know, games being so long and all like, there's a lot tied up in what makes game awards uh, complicated. I mean, it's, it's trying to be the Oscars, but has seven more categories than the Oscars. Really what it is, is the Emmys. Right. Like Emmys has to be split up into like different genre spaces because there's so much fucking TV that exists in the world. And like, really, it should be treated like that. And like that has its own like series of problems. But it's just like it's shooting for the wrong thing and then like doing it poorly. Right. Like stop bringing it. I, like- I almost <laughs> wish I, I wish I almost wish it was split in two to some degree. I'd propose this talking to Vinny Caravella on the next Lander podcast, where it's like, what if. The first two hours were E3, right? We're the winter showcase. I, I agree with and that. Then, <laughs> I'd love and then, that. hey, we're going to do an award show. And are we going to lose two-thirds of the viewers? Yeah. But then the award show can just be the award show. And it can it can go along in a different way. And and maybe the commercial aspects of that don't allow that to be possible. You know, I, I don't know. But it seems like there's a world where you could do something like that, where it's like, hey, we're recognizing these are kind of goals with two different, you know, two missions with two different goals. What if we just fully recognize that and kind of kind of split the two to to some degree? But I suspect it'll be roughly the same thing this year or next year, and we'll be having a roughly the same conversation <laughs> next year. And maybe next year, Rob, Kojima will show up some gameplay for his new game. Who knows? Or maybe he won't have a game that he's promoting eagerly next year. Maybe he'll be promoting a feature film. Uh, I think we were all a little puzzled as to what the hell, like, look, I think we'd all be thrilled to have, uh, you know, Jordan Peele come out and be our hype man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But there was a bit of like, what's what's going on here? Because like, look, we, we've been we've been here before with like, I'm making game of my friend Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> and I was like, that's going to be a, that's going to be great. And then crickets. Well, PC. But PT was great. It was great. I mean, that's that one's that was not really. I can't. Yeah, I can't put that on my man Kojima. Yeah. Like, I got my problems with Kojima, but that that's not him. That's Konami. Um, <laughs> uh, 
that said, we don't know a lick about what OD is. There, you know, there was there was nothing to say, nothing there but literal, literal hype, um, and friends and family involved. People looking uh, at a screen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You choose worse collaborators (laughs) than Peel, I suppose, though. So, well, uh, also just reminds us, like, you know, hey, a twenty four. You know, we're gonna we are gonna make. You know what has a twenty four vibes is Death Stranding. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, so A24 on the morning that we started recording this announced uh, that they're collaborating with Kojima to produce a film uh, based on a live action film based on Death Stranding. Um, uh, Kojima in a in a press release said um, there are a lot of game adaptation films out there, but what we are creating is not just a direct translation of the game. The intent, the intention is that our audience will not only be fans of the games, but our film will be for anyone who loves cinema. We are creating a Death Stranding universe that has never been seen before, achievable only through the medium of film it will be born. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because A24 probably, you know, has made a lot of films that probably all of us are big fans of. They are like... Uh, made a lot of really interesting genre work, give a lot of uh, really interesting filmmakers a lot of latitude to make stuff that's not necessarily commercially appealing, but ends up winning a lot of awards or is the very least interesting. But like something like six months ago, it was sometime earlier this year, A24 was like, uh, we got to make some stuff that more people won't watch. Um, uh, they, they, there was a, a an insinuation that A24 needed to go slightly more commercial. They were... Uh, recently tied to uh, bidding for the television rights to the Halloween franchise. They didn't win them. Um, that went to to somebody else. Um, but uh, it seems like something like Death Stranding falls into that bucket of, all right, well, if we have to make something more mainstream appealing, how does that still fit within the A24 vibe? And like Death Stranding, Kojima seems to seems to line up pretty cleanly with with something like that, whether it ends up being any good I don't know, um, but it doesn't seem to be any indication that Kojima is going to be behind the camera. I'm sure he'll be deeply involved from a creative and production level, but isn't actually going to make the switch to to active filmmaking. But I, I have to. I, I'm so curious if it's. I mean, what do you just not, do? You just do you cast Norman Reedus? Do you not? You get someone to play Norman Reedus? Like, what do you what do you do here? What if they take that decision out of Kojima's hands and they recast his boy? That'd be great. That'd be very funny. <laughs> Can I mean I I assume it's not a retelling, so right, so it's probably a different yeah. set of characters. And I, I bet Norman Reedus is in the movie. You know what I mean? I'm sure that there's some sort of intersection there, but it probably is. Uh, I mean, you, Rob, Sam you played Porter. way more of this. <laughs> yeah, you played way more of this game than than any of us probably did. Where where does does it seem like it lends itself pretty naturally to like, oh, just out of frame. Here's another story. N- n- well, no, it's a game where you go into people's like hab shelters and talk to the little digital projections. And one of them's Jeff Keighley. Right. Uh, and one of them is Conan O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> and so like and then it consistently has the sense of like. The world has been destroyed. There's people living in these cities. We never see any of them. This is a cast of like eight characters mm-hmm. tops that we're going to see. And there's no sense of like there being a world because the only people who, you know, bridge these gaps between people are these deli- de- delivery uh, couriers. It's a it's a it's a weird thing. Like It's a hard thing to like readily imagine becoming a 
I guess the parts of it you could see like, okay, this could become uh, the, the feature film is like when the game takes the controls away from you and is like, you are going to watch, um, you're going to watch this extended flashback sequence for like 35 minutes to figure out the the story behind your your little uh, tank baby. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess you could make a movie about that. I mean, you know, if we were doing the, you know, true Jordan uh, Peele tie in, we would have the the Bloomhouse version where this is a horror movie set in a haunted fulfillment center. Um, <laughs> but what if. Yeah. What if we go full stalker and it's just. Norman Reedus waxing poetic for three hours as he goes on a journey and you only see you see humans at the beginning and at the end and nothing else in between. <laughs> Just would they let someone do that much location shooting? Oh, God, that's the real that's the real problem. Like, yeah. Why can't we just get like a dead, silent, eerie, like journey through uh, abandoned uh, abandoned nothingness yeah uh and the answer tends to be like oh we're, we're not sunday that's so expensive people Send in cruise space out to a cruise? place yeah no I'm, we're shooting in, in the in the void <laughs> what is the the volume <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh I don't know. It's uh, I like it's it. It seems like a bit of an odd like I like. I guess there's directions you can go with it based on like the lore of that world. Mm-hmm. But actually, like taking Death Stranding as it is and being like we're making a movie about it, it'd be a weird fucking movie, even by video game logic standards. Hmm. It feels like, you know, like you zoom out, and this is about uh this. This obviously is a, a movie about or a game about COVID that happened before COVID, right? It's a movie about <laughs> isolation and being only connected through like the mail, which is like uh, the reality for a lot of people. Uh, aside from like having, you know, uh, you know, there's always uh, the all of our connections were mediated for like a solid two years, right? I could see someone taking that angle of it and like pushing that into something and like kind of ignoring the rest of the lore maybe and just be focusing on the, the, the that idea of isolation um but the actual story like the actual like characters and taking that and trying to do something with it feels like a fool's errand i do i don't do not get wrapped up in kojima's lore he, he will he will trap you in his web and you'll never get out <laughs> like it's not gonna i don't know that you can make that work uh, really, because it part of, I don't know, part of the kitschiness of it is always so like, I, it's fun in a video game, but I don't know that it translates to something where it's the only thing that's happening, right? Like it it gets balanced in the game by the other the 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 mechanics and stuff and like the other parts that are happening around it, but like I don't know in in a vacuum that that's why when someone like tries to explain the plot of a Kojima game, it sounds like bonkers and like unintelligible and it's like well kind of it mostly is from like a top level view it feels a little better when it's happening sometimes but only sometimes even you know (laughs) um yeah i i have no i like i guess there's only really there's only one one man who can carry this and it's not it's not norman reedus it's mads Mads, like, <laughs> Mads can do it. <laughs> the brief for this movie just needs to be the camera makes sweet love to Mads oh uh, for three hours. I mean, that's it. Worst, worst reasons to end up in a movie theater. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we've we've uh, we've had those worst reasons. So for for sure. Um, oh, I just reminded about so, serenity. 
a game that <laughs> seems unlikely uh, to be featured at the Game Awards next year. The day after. Uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I hadn't, I am sure there's almost certainly some sort of like VOD of us doing like, you know, one of these fucking things and we're looking at trailers and I'm probably like, that game looks sick. I bet you there's, I'll bet you I've, I've, I'm implicated somehow mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Patrick, you want to talk through like, th- this has been this like weird scandal, uh, tragic comedy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I do highly recommend uh, checking out. There's a, a kind of a timeline piece uh, at Aftermath. Um, we had Luke Plunkett, one of the co-founders, uh, on uh, sports uh, a couple of weeks back when Aftermath first launched called The Day, the Days Before This Day and The Day Before, The Rise and Fall and Fall of a Video Game, um, which is just, you know, you love to see. I don't have to write a headline for SEO anymore. Who gives a fuck? Like, good energy, Riley. I appreciate it. Um, but the article itself is really good because it's a uh, really well done timeline of the day before from when it's announced to where we're at today. The long and short of it um, is, like, the day before is announced as an open world survival game. It has a cool trailer. It's the same studio that was behind some games that people uh, seem to like all right, like Prop Night and The Wild Eight, um, survival open world. Like those are catnip to a lot of players. Like mm-hmm. and so the day before, when it only has a trailer, just teasing what it might become in January 2021, uh, skyrockets on Steam to be the most wish listed game. People are like, this is this is the you know, like a second coming of DayZ. Like this is going to kind of take that mantle and and take it forward and has new ideas. Like this sounds, this sounds fantastic. And there just kind of goes this ongoing saga of showing more of the game, showing less of the game, uh, disappearing for long periods of time. There's a moment where the studio comes under very understandable fire for using what it called volunteer labor. Um, (laughs) this is in, in June of 2022. Uh, uh, the, the developer, Fanatic, uh, noted that every Fanatic member is a volunteer uh, and that full-time volunteers work for salaries, which, as Riley points out, is also called being employed. Um, full-time volunteers working for salaries. But the part-time volunteers, who are just volunteers, get cool rewards, particip- particip- par- participation certificates, and free codes. So it gives a a weird vibe mm-hmm. like but what's happening here but then again not the first game to have labor exploitation and plenty of games that ended up being very good at plenty of labor exploitation along the way so maybe not necessarily uh it's a red flag but not necessarily one that sort of dooms the game to to amount to anything um and it's, there are other stops along the way for this game that aren't worth getting into but there are lots of huh hmm what's going on here all the way up until uh, the game uh, finally uh, launches uh, in in December, uh, early December. It went from a game that was going to be 1.0, it was going to be on multiple platforms, to being PC only, to being early access. And when it launches, um, or like right before, they put out a, a tweet that's very defensive. That's like, we are not an asset flip game. Uh, we do not, like, we apologize for having shitty trailers. Like, just a bunch, again... Red, like what? Like what is happening here? And all along, the hype for this game is as big as anything. Like, uh, it's it's off kind of our collective radar because it's not the sorts of games we tend to be into. It's it's indicative of like a broader cultural thing that's not exclusive to games. Where 
you can have things that are played and enjoyed by tens of millions of people and you have no idea that it's going on, which is which is which is normal these days. Um, and then the game launches into early access, and one, it's not an open world survival game; it's an extraction shooter, and its Steam page still is presenting as an open world survivor game. Uh, it's buggy as all hell. Um, uh, Simon Carlos, uh, who uh, runs a, a really good uh, newsletter about uh, games called Game Discovery Co. Uh, which is well worth signing up for, um, pointed out that the game had a 46% refund rate, which is astronomical. Essentially, like Jesus. half the people buying it are refunding it. But it was selling like like crazy. Um, uh, Carlos pointed out that uh, essentially like 200,000 Steam purchases, 91,000 being returned. And the game seemed to be going on to having millions of sales, but hundreds of thousands refunded as a result. Um, and then the conclusion of all this is... Uh, uh, the the developer out of nowhere, days after launching the game, announcing, "Yeah, we're done, wrapping it up. Yeah, uh, we're just we're just we're just we're just not going to do this." Uh, the the statement was, "Today we announced the closure of Fanta- Fantastic. Sorry, not Fanatic. Fantastic as a studio. Unfortunately, the day before has failed financially, and we lack the funds to continue. All income received is being used to pay off debts to our partners." We invested all our efforts, resources, and man hours into the development of the day before, which was our first huge game. We really wanted to release new patches to reveal the full potential of the game, but unfortunately, we don't have the funding to continue the work. It's important to note that we didn't take any money from the public during the development of the day before. There were no pre-orders or crowdfunding campaigns. We worked tirelessly for five years, pouring our blood, sweat, and tears into the game. At the moment, the future of the day before and Prop Night is unknown, but the servers will remain operational. We apologize if we didn't meet your expectations. We did everything within our power, but unfortunately miscalculated our capabilities. Creating games is an incredibly challenging endeavor. We're grateful to everyone who supported us during these difficult years. It's been a fantastic journey over the eight years. Uh, and then in response to like some criticisms, like the response has been, well, hey, shit happens, man. And I don't know that I would add up everything that's happened over the course of this game. I mean, shit does happen. It does, though. I feel, I feel, I feel you. Um, but I don't know that this is one of those is where you just like walked in the door and went like, damn, some shit just happened. I mean, it seems like some shit happened, but maybe maybe some of it might have been uh, anticipated prior to launching a game that seemed to not be in a state to be launched. And you get vibes of, well, if we just launch it, we have all these wish lists. Maybe we can make some money before this whole thing crash and burns. And it's an instance in which Steam's very generous refund policy, which is not the case over most other platforms, ends up saving a lot of folks who wanted to see what it was and discovered that, well, shit happens. You know, there there are, I can start, this, this feels like, you know, sometimes people don't know what they don't know. And they're like, I got this. <laughs> I think I can do this. Uh-huh. And you just, like... Look, I could make a Tarkov. I could make it. I could make a. I could make bigger Tarkov. I think I got that unlocked. And people, I don't have to get it just right because people who like play games like this, the games I like, they're janky as hell. I can make a janky as hell game that's going to be awesome. And then you just get in so deep, and you're like, you know, it's a bit like, um, oh god, that like legendary. It's not Grover House, but it's the closely related Doom Bathroom uh, thing from the Something <laughs> Awful uh, forums, where the guy mm-hmm. just starts being like. 
I can make major structural changes to my house and gets like halfway through like structural beams and people are like, whoa, buddy, you need to stop what you're doing right now. I can sort of see, you know, you just keep you just keep going and Mm. you have the know how to make it like it keeps looking like a video game. It looks mm-hmm. like a video game. Eventually, you'll be able to complete it. Uh, and then you get to this point. It's like you need to walk away. Um, <laughs> I guess good on them for not being like, we can fix this. Let's continue throwing our lives on the bonfire. Uh, but yeah, just getting to this point, And you're right, Patrick. Like the the fact that there are so many people, like there, there, there are certain like people who are just like, they love the genre. They love games like this. They don't need to know anything. They just need to have a thing that has the shape of what they like. Mm-hmm. And they'll like, sign me up. Day one purchase, baby. How soon can I get my hands on it? <laughs> yeah, and this game seemed to, to fall into that category, but seemed to be categorically mismanaged. And oftentimes what happens is those games just don't make it out the door, right? Like they don't they don't ship. There is no... Uh, nothing for you to buy. And and here there was something for you to buy. And then it seemed for the studio to go under so quickly after its launch suggests it's what gives some, I think, credence to the idea that, well, maybe we could we just make some money off of this, like, st- like steaming turd. We <laughs> like, played this bubble. <laughs> we played mm. this bubble and like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do it till it pops. And, then it popped, um, and and the game has been. I think it's de- delisted at this point. I don't think you can even purchase it no. um, anymore. Correct. Um, As of but, uh, fourteen hours ago, you can get a refund from Steam no matter how long you've played it. Yeah, Steam will eventually do that in uh, extraordinary yeah. uh, moments, and this game seemed to qualify as an extraordinary <laughs> moment. Um, uh, it did have some really good. I mean, if if you click on this clip that i have shared with um the three of you you will get a sense of some of what was going on here uh in this game um when it came out i'm gonna describe this clip for people it's you know it looks like you're playing a division style game and then all of a sudden a character model pops out on the other side of the map but they're big <laughs> we're like talking oh like a God. kaiju um and then they float away oh my god they float away like a macy's day parade uh float uh into into the sky it is that's incredible i'm sorry thing i've ever seen and they're giving people their money back yeah well it's very fun so i i i I, I, this clip that i share with you is a twitch clip so then you know it also shows you more information about the streamer yeah and this is a streamer holly rex live and they were playing the day before and so, of course, tells me right now, what is Holly Rex Live playing? They're playing Daisy. Um, so mm. I think that goes a long mm. way to show like why why was this game so anticipated? Because uh, they're hard to make, and they like Daisy itself is kind of a you know came out of a mod, and like they're they're oddities uh, and yet exceptionally popular. So you understand why developers chase it. Um, but then I think you get a situation like this, and you understand why not many of them succeed. But this clip is art. I agree. It's it's tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely adore it. Um, there, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. You well, I was just going to say it feels because it because it, it technically released into early access, right? It's, it didn't. It wasn't a 1.0. It was like, correct. Please, please, please ignore the bugs. We'll fix them. But give us money now so that we can keep fixing them seemed to be the like idea but there was also like i don't know they tweeted hold on that i saw a tweet where they were just like 
it was very funny. It was very boastful um, about the game like three days before it launched. <laughs> uh, yeah, the communication was off. That, yeah. I think and part of what was happening here was that it was clear that it was a shit show ahead of launch. And in, in many ways, a lot of people were just like, all right. They weren't buying it because they were actually excited anymore. They were buying it because it was a car wreck. Right. And it was a car wreck that you could buy and then safely refund. Yeah. And so it kind of became a pylon, which was like, hey, we know this game is not is coming in not just hot, <laughs> but like f- flaming. Um, like it, it is it is it is going down. And essentially following this game, being excited for this game itself became a meme yeah. in and of itself. And so a long time ago, the day before, stopped just representing a highly anticipated open world survival game and became these developers don't seem like they have it, but they just keep moving forward. So I'm going to walk with them. <laughs> it's like kind of like following your drunk friend home, like make sure they get home safe. Jesus but, it, but, but also like, you're kind of, you're kind of curious what kind of shit they're going to get up to. If you just kind of watch yeah. from a distance, <laughs> like we're going to walk a half a block back. Like we're not going to actually carry them, but like we're going to make sure they get home and just don't, like pass out in an alley, and and that's a bit of the vibe of the day before was just millions of gamers being like, I mean, you saw what he was doing at the bar. Like he should not have had that last shot. Like early access. What are you talking about? And like, no, I'm good. No, I'm gonna go home actually. And you're just like, okay, buddy. But like, hey, can Joe? Can you can you walk with him home and make sure like he gets this post there? does have like the they cornered you at the jukebox. <laughs> to the volunteer who supported us not only with words but with deeds. <laughs> Your support helped us get to this day. You support us through our darkest night. And we look forward <laughs> to sharing the best days ahead with you. Oh. There were not best days. There were not <laughs> any days left. There wasn't uh, any day after, just the day before. Hey, real yeah. quick, this was not this is also it's not really breaking news, but just uh this is interesting. Uh just a little, just a little message from a uh, VP at Creative Assembly uh, that came out today. Rob, you don't want to see stuff, dear Total War fans. I don't want to see that. <laughs> it's been a difficult few months, and we recognize that we have made mistakes when it comes to our relationship with you all. It's been a constant conversation internally on how we can get back to solid ground. What's clear is that it won't be easy, and that it will take time and effort. We see the confusion, the frustration, and the distrust of us across the community. Honestly, it breaks our hearts. We make games to bring you joy, to inspire a love of history of fantasy and strategy games. Total Wars are everything. We care about it as deeply as you. Recently, it's clear that we have failed to demonstrate that in our actions. Uh, this is not a good statement. This goes on. This is like them basically trying to walk back the last like six months or more of their releases. Um, I uh, did not realize like, you know. I'm not that tuned into what's going on with Warhammer three since it came out. Like it's the big, it was the big end of that trilogy. Like they always release tons of DLC for this. So I don't know what exactly is going on that would prompt a long section that says we have listened to your feedback on shadows of change. And we know that we failed to meet your expectations of what a DLC should be to address that. We are enhancing our offer uh, for everyone who purchased shadows of change with more content and commitment to ensuring that we uh, better meet your expectations going forward. Uh, you know, they, they are, they are, uh, you know, trying to fix it now with a with a major update in 2024. Uh, but there's a, a a long sort of recounting of what they are what they are going to do to sort of right the ship with uh with Warhammer Three and um, Shadows of Change. The big one is they basically throw Total War Pharaoh under the bus here. 
Uh, they, they said, we want to make you aware of a decision that we've made internally surrounding the game, what to expect with the DLC that we're, we've been working on. Uh, in the next few days, all current owners of Total War Pharaoh will see that Steam has processed a partial refund to you and that some funds have been added to your Steam wallet. This is what? happening because we've lowered the price of the game uh, to a new what, RRP. What's that RRP? Retail price? Mm. Like, yeah, I, reverse repurchase agreement. Oh, no, that's uh, no. Uh, yeah, reverse repurchase agreement. Either way, they cut the price for uh, they, they cut the price uh, by like I think ten bucks here, um, and they gave the money back. Yeah, we don't think it's fair that our fans who put their trust in this on Pharaoh should in any way feel disadvantaged for buying the game at the previous price. We've also removed the higher priced editions of the game, the deluxe edition and Dynasty edition. There's now only one edition of the game available for purchase. Our next update, what was originally our first paid DLC, will release in early 24 as a free update for everyone who owns the game. We'll have plenty to show you about this now, uh, this now free edition to Pharaoh in the new year. We have now begun the process. This doesn't sound good. We've now begun the process of reassessing what comes next for Pharaoh. And while we don't have all the answers today, we want to make clear to you that we're not closing the door on other more ambitious updates to the game in the future. We've still got big plans, but we want to be honest with you in saying that we need to spend more time with them before uh, putting them out on show. Uh, I've never heard of something like that where they have put money into people's steam wallets as a result of a so is, I will like all right uh, a couple things I, I would say like I there's there's things I like about Pharaoh but I like I didn't play a ton of it I had trouble getting into it I think I can see where like Basically, Total War, you remember the Total War Sagas games where they were like, they're the big Total War games, the huge, like, this is an entire era, Total War Medieval, the entire Middle Ages in Europe and, mm. uh, you know, the, the Middle East, we're going to have all of that here in this game. That's a big Total War. They were looking for, well, they were kind of looking for two things, um, smaller settings where it be like a more contained scenario or like game you could, you could play. And also smaller games like that was kind of they were trying to find a commercial niche here where it's like we want a, you know, $40 release as opposed to a $60 release. That'll still be like a good Total War experience. They never quite dialed it in like the first Total War Saga, Total War uh, Saga Britannia uh, sucked um, because it was clear they were tagging in like B team uh, like developers to do this stuff. Mm hmm. Their second one was Total War Troy, which I quite liked. It was from the people who made Pharaoh. But it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, especially people who like really come to like a good Total War game should have lots of like faction uh, differentiation. When you have a setting that like that, you tend to have only a couple factions that are really like built out. And then there's like, you know, these guys have a special unit, but they're still the same faction. It's like, um, you know, the the Age of Empires, uh, you know, mythology model or something where it's like same army and then their hero unit is different. Uh, that didn't, didn't like people liked that. I liked it quite a bit, but you know, not a beloved game. Total War Pharaoh is following in its footsteps. Uh, and I think like it's doing a lot of neat things. It's a weird game. It's also an attempt to like reinvent the strategic level of a total war game and make it a lot like a board game, uh, mm -hmm. where you fight total war battles, but it was not well received. Um, you know, people felt it was kind of small. Um, uh, I think if you were, to argue that some of the 
board game stuff on that strategic layer was half-baked, you'd probably have a good argument. Like, it's a lot of mechanics, but I don't know if they all hang together in the most satisfying way. Uh, but either way, they they treated it like it was a you know pretty pretty major release. I think they released it at like fifty dollars, and uh, like you know wasn't wasn't popular, uh, wasn't was not well received. And then they do have like you know obviously the special editions, and people promise that like they're promising like uh, more paid DLCs. And when you have a core game that people are like, this is kind of thin on the ground. Like, where's the rest of it? And the rest of it is paid DLC. That's gonna set people off. I also say, like, for me, there has been a bit of it's it's felt like the ship is leaking a bit ever since um Three Kingdoms. Like, that is a game where their DLCs for that, like, Total War Three Kingdoms was amazing. I think it's, like, the best game they've made in years. Their DLCs, I don't think, broadly improved it and mm-hmm. tended to introduce bugs and, like, just weird shit happening that made the core game worse. Like, you would start encountering, like, core issues with how the game worked more often. And it turned into a thing where, like, that's one of my favorite games the last several years. I don't play it very much because it's like I don't want to encounter those bugs where my campaign gets all fucked up uh, because some absurd thing is there that they haven't fixed. So, like, I do. It kind of seems like Creative Assembly have may have gotten a little addicted to that Total War three model of like we're just going to keep putting out DLCs and you're going to keep buying them because you love those factions. They tried to figure out a model for the total war saga game where you have a small scale total war. That's like easier to project manage and you can sell at a decent price. Um, And then they are kind of struggling to develop these things after release in a way that people are like, Hey, this is turning into a better experience. I'm having a good time. Um, But this is what, what a note to end the year on uh, for a premier strategy studio. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> stress like a stressful note. At least the note doesn't come with, and we've shut down X Y Z. You know what I mean? Like, I really hope there's this, not a follow up where it's like we're and you know early next year they shut down Creative Assembly, Sophia, because that would suck. And I think I think with both Pharaoh and Troy, hey, they're they're out there trying stuff. Like, it may not all be working, but like they're coming with, up with ideas, and they do have like some flair and genuine style it's just i think the projects they're being handed uh the brief they're being given may not be enough to like allow them to make total war fans happy yeah it's uh not concerning i it's not what you want to hear because that this is usually an apology and then a shoe drops and i hope that's not the case but unfortunately we have ample evidence from the, the year that we're finishing up to suggest that is usually the follow-up, but hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully Sega will give them enough latitude, given, uh, frankly, given how fucking important Total War, like an underrated part of Sega, like, doing as well as they have in the last decade, like, everyone gets wrapped up in Sonic this, Sonic that, but, like, it's like Creative Assembly has, like, been a huge part of, like, Sega managing to muddle their way through the last decade, um, and... You know, things like Atlas and Persona. I mean, like, there's other... It's not just Total War, but Total War has been a huge pillar. I would say before those things really got rolling in a big way for Sega, like, the 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 foundation of this was, like, the fact that they had Total War on lock. Right. And so you would hope that they would be given an opportunity to rework things. Like, give give, give them a chance to reshuffle the deck and find a way through, given how important 
Total War has been to Sega as a company for, you know, a decade plus. Whether that's actually the case, you know, I don't know. There's reason to be cynical, but gosh, I hope so, um, because they certainly deserve it. Yeah. And I think it does. I think it does highlight a, a thing that we see a lot, too, where it's like it is one of the ways this all started to go wrong is it is hard to figure out a good scale for these projects to exist at now. Like the the expectations rightly wrongly that people tend to have around like $60 release are so enormous and you have to keep giving more and more game that like I totally understand why creative assembly would want to. And I think it's a good idea to figure out like we need to make smaller games that have like a focus scenario and a through line that like is is easily comprehensible and they just they can't get it off the ground. Um, it's just it's not it's not coming together. Uh, last thing before we wrap up news here. Uh, so. It looks like Google got killed in court by Epic. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So Epic, uh, you know, the developers of Fortnite uh, sued both Apple and Google, um, lo- broadly lost their lawsuit against Apple. Obviously, there was a lot of hay made of that in the last couple of years or a lot of interesting emails and testimonies that came out as a result of that court case in the same way that the uh, – you know, FTC versus, you know, Microsoft is a part of the Activision Blizzard case. Lots of interesting stuff came out of that court case as well. Um, the difference in this lawsuit that uh, Google that Epic filed against Google is that it went to jury. Um, you know, it wasn't just decided by a judge. A judge will be the one that actually decides what happens next. Epic didn't sue for any, uh, like, monetary gain. They sued to change the policy. Um, I'll quote from a, a Verge piece here. Um Three years after Fortnite maker Epic Games sued Apple and Google for allegedly running illegal app store monopolies, Epic has a win. The jury in Epic vs. Google has just delivered its verdict, and it found that Google turned its Google Play app store and Google Play billing service into an illegal monopoly. After just a few hours of deliberation, the jury unanimously answered yes to every question put before them, that Google has monopoly power in the Android app distribution markets and in-app billing services markets, that Google did anti-competitive things in those markets, and that Epic was injured by that behavior. They decided Google has an illegal tie between its Google Play App Store and its Google Play Billings Payment Services too, and that its distribution agreement, uh, Project Hug, uh, deals with game developers and deals with OEMs uh, were all anti-competitive. Uh, for example, Google has made you know sweetheart deals with companies like Spotify in order to provide them more generous uh, financial terms for being on the their app stores, which are usually a 70-30 split um, between app makers and the platform holders. Uh, and you have folks like Google, like give it, I don't have the details in front of me and what they gave to Spotify, but it gave them like, you know, a much fairer deal. Apple has done similar deals uh, in the past uh, as well with various companies. Um, and in this case, uh, like because it went to trial, the the the, the jury actually sort of like voted in favor of, of Epic. It can be appealed. Um, you know, this is not necessarily the the end. There are no been, you know, changes made. Uh, you know, Google itself or Alphabet has said that they they plan to appeal. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, in, in many ways, like what's being argued here is like have these app stores become, I don't know, sort of like telecoms uh, in which like, hey, I know you laid the lines, but now they're a public utility and you shouldn't be able to, manage them as a monopoly, whether you agree with that argument or, or not. And Tim Sweeney is not the most empathetic figure to be the one spearheading this charge, you know, someone that just laid off, you know, near a thousand people and who seems to put his foot in his mouth every single day or every other day on, on social media uh, or in interviews. But 
Uh, I think it's a fair criticism to to make against, you know, technology titans like Epic uh, and or uh, like Apple and Google. Um, even if you don't think of Epic as I think what was I Sweeney put in a tweet at one point is like, you know, the system works. A billion dollar company took down a took on a trillion dollar company and we won. And it's like, yay, <laughs> yay, you know, yay. real David versus Goliath story. Like the little guy, the littler guy has won. <laughs> when Goliath faces a bigger Goliath, it's you know <laughs> something we can all get right. behind. <laughs> right, a hundred percent. It is it is funny, like I, I I feel like I remember a time when like the pitch for Android was like, unlike Apple, it's going to be an open platform. It's going to be, you're going to be able to do so much with your Android phone. It's going to be like just a, just a thousand flowers blooming uh, over, over an Android. And boy, it doesn't, it may not be locked up to the same degree Apple is, but in terms of just like, what is the, the on-ramp for the experience of interacting with an Android device? Like it's, it's all Google all the time. Rob gets one iPhone and um, his empire crumbles. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, uh, if you're going to put walls around the garden, make it a good garden. Yeah, the garden, the garden is important when it's the only thing you can access. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's just, I think actually like more meaningful effort is happening in the EU and their regulatory bodies. And it is that like anything that Tim Sweeney is doing, like I want side loading to come to my iPhone. Like I want to be able to well, put other apps on onto that. Like it's coming to the e- like I guess European iPhones are going to get that next year. I, I presume at some point side loading huh. shit onto my iPhone since 2000. Yeah, but like for There's websites know, for that Patrick, you know, <laughs> wink. <laughs> not in the same way, not in the same way though. Like not they don't you don't get access to the device in the same way uh, that you would if you're like formally like installing it. Um, there there are advantages to 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 going through that system, but but it's all just to say uh, like those systems I think deserve to be broken up to a to a certain degree. At the same time, like Rob, to your point, like like it's so easy to subscribe to things on Apple devices, and then you just go to a thing called subscription, and I can just like, hey, New York Times, like fuck off, like I can just hit done. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a way that you. Uh, you can't on, you know, you're trying to, other everything else they're trying to cancel from Planet Fitness. Good luck. I, you gotta go get a notarized <laughs> document in the mail in order to stop getting charged for it, but. Um, Talk about a company the government should, should just shut down. Uh, yeah, Planet but, Fitness. Like, <laughs> why are people going to Planet Fitness? And I get it, it's cheap, but like, it's terrible. It's close, too. Oh, you do you have a Planet Fitness subscription? They're everywhere. I know Planet Fitnesses are like a lot of terrible things are everywhere. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) No, I'm no. They are terrible. They are one of the first things I I I learned living on Earth as like a slightly (laughs) older child was don't get a Planet Fitness gym membership. It's terrible. It's terrible. The culture's terrible. The stuff is terrible. They have like these weird like donut Fridays and it's just like, oh, your water is too big. But they kicked out. They they have Sorry, kicked out wait, professional athletes. Hang on. <laughs> your water's, your too, water's big. too big. Yeah. If your water bottle's too big, you like get in trouble. If your shirt doesn't have sleeves, you that's not allowed. If you make too much noise when you're working out, that's not allowed. Like, well, yeah, they've kicked I out mean, look, you got to get the lungs out of there. Gym, yeah. They say the, the lunk alarm. They, they sound the lunk alarm. It is a. Fake gym. It is such a fake, weird little scam 
Um, but yeah, anyway, I don't know how we got on this topic, but a plan fitness is so bad. Never, no, but I'm never, like, ever. You're right. Like this is man. Like you're right, Patrick. Cause the, the truth is if I just consolidated everything into one place where I could easily access it rather than have to be like, what the fuck? Where's the, what password do I have for that? What's the, I have to go in there, log in, cancel my account. If I just do that with all one click for one master device. Oh man. Should I just buy Rob an Apple TV 4K for Christmas? And yeah. Just have it shift to Force him so him the device the, is just... You just push him further <laughs> just, into the garden? Just like, get in there, damn it! <laughs> One day oh, I have man. a 4K and an iPad appear on my doorstep, like a little foundling <laughs> left on the steps of the church. Rob, don't worry about it. It's a, it's, it's a tax write-off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we're going to we're gonna make this into content, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I bought my colleague an Apple TV. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to help bring that uh, dream into reality, we're going to take a break and uh, pay some bills. We'll back after this. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately, for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, 
That's right. That's code REMAP50 at factormeals.com slash REMAP50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash REMAP50 and use code REMAP50 to get 50% off. That's code REMAP50 at factormeals.com slash REMAP50 to get 50% off. All right, and we're back. Uh, last chance to talk about games. Well, for for Remap Radio, except for the Game of the Year show. For us, that's already in the past. Uh, but this is it. This is this is the end of the year. Uh, so let's talk about what folks have been playing. I guess we can start off with um, Patrick to prep for the the Game of the Year stuff. And I did this as well. Some serious Alan Wake time got logged. logged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk a lot about this on... Shocking! Like Alan Wake 2 probably appears on someone's game of the year list, and we have an extensive uh, discussion about it. But uh, yeah, I, I've been streaming for the the remap audience the last uh, for a couple days in a row, about a week back. Uh, I played I don't know three ish hours for that initial discussion we had in late October, um, and then you had life stuff happens. I had other games happen, and and finally wanted to get around. Like the moment that really triggered for me was being told to hide under a desk during the game awards <laughs> because I should not watch. Are you glad we made you hide sequence. under the desk for the game? Yes. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, I, 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 it was worth having, I haven't watched the game Awards segment since I've, I've been saving to do that on stream with our audience, but I am glad that elements of that presentation were hidden from me so that I could experience it in the game as a result. And it's a real testament to, that sequence in particular, which I don't even want to spoil, obviously it's called, it's called We Sing. People who play the game will will know. Um, I've picked up on that moment being really good, really transcendent, like really remedy operating at the highest vibes possible. Uh, and so my expectations were extremely high. And it is incredible that not only were they met, but exceeded probably in in the moment because of the the interactive layer uh, because of what you actually do as the player uh, during, during that sequence. And so, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been, I, I really like the game. Uh, Rob, this is something you touch on like b- briefly in our game of the year discussion, but I wonder if it's worth unpacking here because I've spent a lot of time swapping between saga and Alan and I'm pretty iffy on the combat. I think uh, it it bothers me less than you, but you seem to suggest that you are running into some real friction with that part of the game. Well, it's what's sort of put this. Uh, it's not hard. Like it's not that. That's not the friction. Like it's not. I'm like, oh, it's too clunky, and I'm having trouble with these encounters. Like I find I find the game kind of easy in a, a lot of respects. Like it's not. This is not meaning to throw up meaningful roadblocks to you in terms of like you got to get through this sequence. I think there was one encounter uh, where you kind of get um, bushwhacked by a bunch of like shadow monsters and everything. And you have to like do a lot of crowd control real suddenly that you maybe haven't had to do before. But then the game gives you things like flares and stuff where it's like just uber crowd control weapons, uh, things like that. But it's more like going back to the start of Remedy, really like Max Payne, like 
they're games I associate with like really responsive characters. Like even your sort of more everyman characters like Alan Wake is he runs. He's, he gets winded very easily. This is how we signal he's not a typical video game protagonist. The original Alan Wake can run like 50 yards through the woods. And then he's like, Ooh, oh, I got to hang on here. Let me just fight these 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 taken and uh, collect myself. But they've all been they've all like steered well they've all felt pretty good to control and like aim with and shoot things with and this is the first one of their games where i'm like these characters feel like there's a lot of inertia to them uh they're kind of slow they're awkward and that does like maybe situate them as more human scale characters than like a shooter protagonist but at the same time does not one i think there's games that have actually done that better as well like the getting the sense that you're not a superhero here but you're just a you know ordinary person trying to survive i think other games have done that better but two it just doesn't feel great to control there's a lot of moments where i'm like man can you just like fucking move can you like i never have it like the dodge doesn't feel good uh i always feel like that's just like it's a timing thing i just end up in a random place and you just gotta spam it you're, yeah, trying, you're, try, you're trying too hard to play it regularly. You just just keep pressing it. Yeah. But like it just none, none of it feels great to me in terms of like a oh, character got too close, hit the right trigger, going to, you know, backhand them away with a gun. And it just none, it's none lacking of a vi- it's lacking a visual trigger or even a reward trigger when you execute a pro like it's one thing where like what if there was like a whoosh you know what i mean like hey like you hit that you hit that dodge which means we're repositioning you in a way that like is a reward for hitting a specific timing instead you end up doing exactly as janet describes where oh i i I, is this enemy gonna bum rush me like you have no like it's a total coin flip on whether an enemy is gonna stay exactly where they are or they're gonna rush up at you and so you're almost inclined to just keep spamming the dodge until you yeah. c- can line up a shot and then you know uh, uh, move on. There, there, there is a one reward, but it's really hard to get because the, like you said, the timing is is a little difficult to pin down. But if you do a last minute um, dodge, it actually makes them stumble; they fall over. Uh, if you oh. do a cor- the dodge like the, the perfect dodge or whatever. Um, I thought you were just gonna say you get a trophy if you're playing on. PlayStation. No, no, no. <laughs> I just mean like literally me. like in like, combat. Oh. If you time it absolutely perfectly, like last possible second, they whiff and like fall down, right? So it turns That's cool. into a bit of. It'd be nice for the game control. to point that out um, <laughs> instead of having Kato point it out on a podcast. No, the game points out in loading. PlayStation trophies also. In loading, oh, loading has a loading. This is the thing. It has that 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 thing of just like, did you see a loading screen and like flip through the tips? Then you might know about it. Maybe if you happen to to, to flip through the tips. Um, but yeah, it could it could have been better about pointing that out because it is useful to learn. Because I feel like a lot of the issues always come up when it's like there's multiple, at least like a lot of the issues that I had with it were like multiple enemies started to feel a little overwhelming. Um, and they actually like like Rob was mentioning, they hand you a lot of things for crowd control, and even if you've run out of those things, the hitting a a dodge at the right moment to like get one of them just like to be on the ground for the next five seconds is super useful. But uh, it's hard to tell because even if you're spamming it, you might not even notice that it's happened because there's so many other things coming at you. You know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like you know, I played Control multiple times because it just feels so good to run around there and shoot things. This is not a game I'm going to do that with, uh, just because like it's 
like the the minute to minute uh you know piloting of these characters doesn't doesn't feel amazing but you know at the same time they're able now to do things with like they've done things that imply dream logic in their games i think controls where they mm-hmm. start doing this control starts playing around with like the ability to uh, every time you had to go through like the ocean view motel, right. And like figure out what rituals you're going to perform, how are you are going to cause things to like change and open paths for you that are not apparent. Uh, this takes that to the, the nth degree. And that part is really cool. Like there's, there's, mm-hmm. this is like one of the few games where it does feel like, Oh, this is a game that does run on dream logic and they can do things. Like if you keep going down the hallway this way, you're going to end up in this infinite loop. But if you turn around and reverse it at a certain point, you're going to end up like a you're, you're not going back where you came from. You're going to open an entirely new path. And stuff like that, the way it's so seamless, uh, that part is really cool. Like the, the sheer number of times where this game's whole atmosphere can can change on a dime, the the, the types of, uh, you know, reality you're in, like literally you can change realities at any moment, uh, but also you know, even within these characters moment, like these, these the levels, you'll have moments where it's like, okay, the, the sense of reality here, you here can like seamlessly and profoundly change. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, there's some stuff that sort of go, like the, the whole upgrade system in the game doesn't really Words work gun. for me. <laughs> Words of gun. I mean, that's very funny. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just like the whole it. finding the words of power. Like, it's just, it feels, finding collectibles in this game feels antithetical to the momentum of everything else in the game. And I don't find it all that fun to, like, stop and be like, well, I really want to find out what's happening in that, like, dream apartment with Alan's wife. But I should probably spend the next half an hour investigating these circles that lead to arrows that lead to me shining a light on some words that give me an... It's one of those instances where, I, on its own, like I actually don't mind the puzzles. I think they're frequently well designed, but they don't feel as integrated neatly into the world in a way that I think they they could be. They feel kind of arbitrary. Um, and I, in playing the game on stream, lots of people told me they basically didn't interface with the collectible aspect, and you don't really need like the upgrades aren't like power leveling that is required to move forward. It's more like making certain strategies more viable than others. So you can certainly play the game just fine without engaging with them. But I don't know. It's, it seemed a little goofy and, and kind of tacked on in a way that I, I thought could have been a little more seamless. See, it, it, I love them because they're, they feel so of what I expected you in like some aspect of a survival horror game, which is like, I'm not interacting with anything that's, the actual thing I want to walk around some hallway and pick up a piece of trash like that's you know and I feel like in terms of that vibe Alan Wake has that and I actually like one of my favorite things in this game is doing that is walking around and finding the stupid lunchbox and then I get you know I can look into it is silly that's like oh I look into like a book and it's very and the last of us kind of had a similar upgrade system with the I found like a manual like the pages to the gun manual kind of yep. thing yep. Um, but yeah maybe I'm just I don't know I think it's just I'm a sucker for having an excuse to wander around a space and I get that you have that in the narrative for more compelling rewards like the compelling reward of understanding the mystery of what's going on in the world and I'm like I want the compelling award of my gun loads faster like so, so I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm in it for that, and I think it's a fun, in general. Like one of my favorite things about 
um, the survival of horror games that I have played, which is not a lot. It's most, it's mostly just Resident Evil. Let's be real. But I like looking around, having an excuse to spend more time in the mundane aspects of the environment, which I get is at odds with like the surrealist intrigue of Alan Wake. But for me, as someone that likes that, it makes it like the perfect sort of compliment to it. Like I'm getting a little bit of both. Like I ha- I'm excited to see what's next, but I'm also excited to like pick up some twigs and rearrange them. And then some, you know, and sometimes I think, and that's mm-hmm. why I like Saga's stuff a little bit more than Alan in a way. I think Alan's more on the face intriguing, but I like how mundane the moment to moment gameplay is with Saga. And even in those like upgrades, they're more intriguing, right? You have like the nursery rhyme puzzle weirdo pentagrams that you're kind of forming. And I think that's why I enjoy her sequence a bit more, even though, you know, the we sing is an Alan thing. And I think that there are some really amazing Alan highs, but I like that saga is so grounded. And then, but there is still that space to get weird. And it's almost more intriguing when that does happen. While with Alan, I'm like, oh, we're going to get, it's art house inherently. <laughs> and I like that saga's trippiness feels like a, a surprise when it does occur. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really it's it's really not that fun to play as Alan. Like Saga is like the more functional third person survival horror game, and then Alan, I frequently feel like I'm just muddling my way through like a really cool sequence. Yeah. Like I don't really want to fight. Like I don't really want to fight another enemy as Alan. But like loading up that crossbow, like a Saga, like I'm I good gotta, to go. See, I'm gonna I, try to upgrade that, cro- that without upgrading the crossbow. It's unusable. So I'll pour some stuff in there. I guess see if I can use it. Yeah, I'm so slow. And I'm clumsy. Like, I don't know. That's <laughs> why so you gotta get the two-shot crossbow. <laughs> it was uh Is there a two-shot crossbow? It's, it's an upgrade. upgrade. It's an upgrade. <sighs> it's the it's the first the, upgrade you should get. Honestly, the little manuscript reloads uh, so snippet slow. that it gives you doesn't even try to explain it. It's like Saga's got Saga's crossbow not fired two shots. She wondered, had it always done that, or had the story made it? And I, it's like, uh, hell yeah. I love the little cheesy writing of the. Yeah. Suddenly. That's really good. Suddenly, very she didn't walk so badly anymore. It's like, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's so it's so cute. It's such a cute little thing. I also like that you don't have to walk up to it. Like I enjoyed that. I mean, these are like very small details, but the soft quality of life within the. God, what the fuck is it called? The mind, mind place. The mind place. The mind yeah. place. Okay, I'm like it's place or palace, but you know you can walk up to like the stuff, or you can just like click through it. I like that integration where it's like if you want to pretend like you're actually in this cabin, you can, but if you just want to look at something, that's also fine. Uh, I, I feel like um, I, I, I kind of agreed with you, uh, Patrick, about how the momentum of the game feels like. A little broken sometimes stopping to get collectibles in a way um but what's really funny is that i don't have that urge naturally uh, and i kind of assume and i think remedy does do this most of the time in 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 this game well is that they put enough in front of you to let you get along right like there's like one where it's like so obvious yeah. you're never gonna miss it even on critical path um and then what was wild though, but is by the end of the game, once I they, they like they signal uh path into a turn uh like moment, and I'm like, actually wait, what if I went back and got everything? <laughs> like now that there's a, there's like yes. a, there's a pause, <laughs> and I know that hitting the next button will go back. I like went back and I got all the collectibles because 
I, I mean, they, 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 you start to get slightly more compelling narrative reasons to interact with them. Uh, it's so only slight, but it was like an interesting moment that I don't think I have. A, I don't have in a lot of games. I'm not a completionist when I go to games and collectibles, especially like, uh, especially bigger AAA games. Like, uh, I played through. I didn't uh, play the the full Spider-Man game uh, last time. I just played the Miles Morales DLC. But even in that, like, did not interact a, a, almost at all with any of the like. Just go find these things for those sorts of, mm-hmm. um, like you'll you'll platinum the DLC or whatever. Like that's not a, that's never been enough for me. But in like this, there's just like enough, just slight enough narrative hook that by the end of having spent. Uh, so long with the game, I was like willing to take the moment of pause that the game gives you to be like, yeah, let's go find them. Let's like, let's figure all these. And like, I really like the riddles. I know the riddles are like contentious. Like some people are like, they don't make any oh sense. I love I, them. I, I love think they're the riddle. Really cool. Yes. Time to just, time so to just put, uh, time to put icons down until the game says you did it. Oh, oh I did. I did solve it. If Thanks, it's game. How it, like, you read it and you think about what little pieces you have. And yeah, then it's a little story. It's a puzzle. It's you, a story. It's a little story. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, you're just supposed to use some critical thinking. Yeah. Dumbass. Like, you know, put the um well i i think i think specifically the the saga sequence sagas is structured in a way where there are different modes of pacing Mm -hmm. relative to alan's which does not have different modes of pacing yeah Yeah, that is true alan is just forward different modes of pacing coming switching away from alan (laughs) right i think that's why that's why why they put those i think that's why like the words of power don't really like work for me even though i've tracked down 90 percent of them because it's like well no like i should just keep going to do that whereas like in sagas like you know like the 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 coffee like uh what's the coffee area called Uh, the coffee world world? yeah yeah coffee yeah yeah Uh, not coffee area coffee world (laughs) but like there's like a like there's pacing in the forest leading up to that like it's very natural to go on different branches in the forest and even in the actual coffee world there are no enemies for a very long time like so you're like you're encouraged like hey it's quiet explore see all the little secrets and then there's going to be a moment where like things change a little bit and it feels like part of the reason the saga sections are so much longer is not just that they are like literally like longer sequences of narrative and gameplay to get through but because the pacing is moving between different speeds and like slow modes like in fast modes and it's alternating between those and makes the player feel like it's very natural to go, oh, okay, this is a moment where I can kind of just explore and take it all in and really enjoy myself and luxuriate. Whereas Alan is very much like go, 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 do, 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 unless you choose to like, well, but there are six marks on this map. Um, Hopefully there aren't a bunch of shadows that aren't really shadows on my way to go do that thing. And it feels like uh, they, but I guess I'll go do it. They never let up either, like because they're sort of, you know, ethereal by nature, which I understand, like you can't really destroy them permanently. But it's just like it, they do keep um their foot on your neck the entire time. That you're Alan, it's yes. not it's never hard because like to Rob's point, the game is not really that hard. Um also, then dying as Alan, like it's like the most graphic death screen I've ever seen. I was it's like, rough. they really like Tomb Raider, Laura Croft, Alan in this shot. Like Jesus Christ! And that's the weird um, thing too is that it's just it's a, even as a single shot, it feels almost as graphic as those animations that we'd get from Laura Croft. It's kind of freaky. Yes, and I think it's, it's because like, it's 
photograph like because it's actually like a photo right like it, it, yeah. you're starting to blend those like realms of uh, the real and unreal and it's like oh god that that yeah i'm like that oh my stings god, a little yeah, <laughs> yeah it is it is quite it is quite a lot um but yeah and i, I do think to the maps i've never liked the maps in these games and i don't like the maps here i don't use i'm like i'm not gonna use this it's like it's i don't know maybe i'm dramatic because it is like a real world like they're world maps that look like that but i'm also bad at that in real life so maybe that's really my issue like i don't have a sense of navigation but i'm like look man if i find what you're asking me to look for i guess that's cool but i can't i can't i'm not reading all this i found that like I found the maps pretty useful. The thing I'll say is I think this is you've all touched on reasons why the Allen sections actually work better for me because it oh, does feel just that little bit more like the pacing all works together a little bit more uh, like even when you're taking detours to be I feel like it's more organic when it's like, oh, hey, I see some yellow paint. Maybe there'll be a word <laughs> of aid around the corner. <laughs> I would love to get a word of stuff. Uh, those are those are the ones that they like like very obviously put in critical path that I really enjoy. I feel like yes, coming upon it is always like oh a treat around the corner. Let me diverge for a second, but I think one, then Patrick t- is talking to when you get when you get the icons when it does the yeah. the the closest thing you can call to an Ubisoft thing in this game of like unlocking yeah. the icons, which is also. Alan doesn't require like burying just like piles and piles of charms uh, in his inventory. <laughs> like Alan is not required to be like, oh, great. Another another charm, huh? This is, yeah. this is neat. Love it. This is another bonus I won't need. Uh, cool. Um, but like in general, I think the the Alan stuff, I think just the the. The eeriness of it works. I think the like those levels tend to connect with me a lot. But there are moments where it's like I think a lot of the stuff with Saga touches on my favorite stuff from Alan Wake One. Like my my absolute favorite chapter there was uh, when you end up in the um, retreat sanitarium type situation that the uh, you know psychologist is is running, mm-hmm. and you have this like the action game pauses for an extended sequence while you just like inhabit a space and like take in its weirdness and the characters. And that's, that is extensively Saga's uh, story. Like yeah. when Saga finally goes to uh, uh, like elder care facility, uh, you know, at a mm-hmm. certain point in the game, I was eating that shit up. I was like, this is, this is great. And it's so <laughs> spooky without really being like, there's no overt scares, but like the sense of profound wrongness. Yeah. Uh, to like, they don't, they don't do the thing that lots of horror media does, which is that old people are inherently scary. And like, it gets into like ageist, like mental illness terror. Like it's, it doesn't do that. Like it's, I mean, yes, these are kooky old people, but it, it avoids a lot of the tropes that horror media like fall, like stumbles itself into. Um, well, it touches on some of the things is, that like you probably, you should be more afraid of, which is like the sense of wrongness around the facility. Yeah. Like, do these people yes. have the yes. best interests of these older people at heart? Um, can you trust these? Like, can you trust what you are seeing here? Because boy, it sure feels like a prison. Is that just because <laughs> like, you know, some people you'd have to like sort of monitor their movements or is it because like they are seeking to control and strip independence from these people who do not need that independence taken away? Like, I think it's a very well executed sequence um, top to bottom. So, so really, really dug, really dug that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will also say you misspoke and called it coffee area earlier, but I do think, uh, 
like Yako and Ilmo think they're building coffee world, but they did only succeed in building a coffee area. <laughs> uh, that's like, <laughs> what more do you need than like three really creepy rides? That's rides. So I, I love to like, have, oh. have you guys seen the reviews for it? Like via, like, I think there's like notes that like people. Have I saw written. one, I yes. found one note that was like some, some like local critic came yeah. through and took a huge shit on it. <laughs> well, look also nobody can take shits there. All the all the bathrooms are out of service. Yes. Uh, come on, also, they're all I think written in a note. They're, they're all like, why are the are broken? <laughs> yeah, those two have my at least so far in the game my favorite arc, uh, uh, unexpected arc uh, for the for those two characters who I did not know <laughs> until Chad pointed out, and maybe this is just another oh. case of Patrick not having critical thinking. Did not realize they were played by the same actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I didn't notice that either. Wait, I didn't notice it's that. It's the good. same guy. Yes. yes! I, thought they, I thought they were just like brothers. I thought they found two yeah. similar looking dudes, similar looking vibes. All right. Uh, All right. I noticed, I, I noticed like by the time I got the third or fourth thing, wow, these two never interact in a way where you couldn't uh, cut the screen <laughs> in half. And I was like, Oh, huh. the good wife did? Yeah, it's a hundred percent. Just like it's two different shots. Obviously, whenever they're both in the shot, they're never crossing over and interacting in that way. Where it's like, what's up with that? And then I like looked, like re- I like really studied their faces for a bit, and was like, that's the same fucker with a beard on, isn't it? <laughs> like, uh, and it's just like, man, actors can do some shit, you know? Like, you fully believe that it could be two different people just that are you know very closely looking just because of how well he like really changes his mannerisms so much for the other brothers the thing like and this is a good example of like remedy really in some ways being at the height of their powers here whatever thing yeah. like how the game like controls but like the weird goofy humor of these characters is also it does dovetail with the like you're constantly trying to figure out like are these guys the architects behind what the fuck is going on? Are, like, are these guys <laughs> evil masterminds in like clowns clothing? But then there's also moments where like they seem to genuinely have everyone's best interests at heart. And so you can't like you're constantly trying to dial these guys yeah. in because they're like ridiculous characters. But they're also like clearly aware and playing with like the elemental forces of the story. You can't figure out like. Are these two jackoffs like causing a cult infestation in Bright Falls, <laughs> or are they like trying to save the planet uh, uh, through hijinks? I can't figure it out, but like it, it works. They, they they situate these characters in a place where it's like I don't know what's fully going on here, and it's it's done so well that like there's a certain point where you catch these characters red fucking handed up to some bad shit, and one of them's like, "You don't understand what's going on. You have to believe me." And I'm like, I might believe him. I might, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the enough weird fucking shit has happened yeah. in this game so far that maybe someone knows more than I do, right? Yeah. Like, the, the game knows more than I do. God, what um, a fucking game. Yeah. I'm super excited for y'all to, like, finish it. Because I, I want to talk. We, we got to do a spoiler cast. Let's just talk full bore, like, the what promise. how the narrative plays out. The <laughs> All right, oh, that, we'll save that for spoiler cast. Yeah. Uh, Janet, you've been playing a game uh, that I've been really interested in, uh, Highland Song. Yeah, um, I started it. I'm not done with it. It's pretty short. I think it's supposed to be like three hours, which I didn't realize when you... Wow, uh, we got two Jacob. like three-hour climbing games this year. Yeah, like Jacob... <laughs> I, think, I forgot if Jacob Geller beat it. I, th- I think he said he did. But like whoever I was talking to mentioned that the character also points out, like, I think this will take about three hours. And I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't even notice that. Um, <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, it is. Um, 
It's cool. It is a um, survival exploration game with rhythm elements, but it's 2D. So it's like it's like a funky little thing. Um, you are essentially this uh, young girl, you know, maybe between the ages of like, I don't know, 14, maybe like 14-ish years old. And you're strong. I hate my mom energy yeah, uh, and- in this game. I played the first I played about 90 minutes of this. Yes. As well. So like the game opens, which is like, fuck you, mom, uh, like sort of <laughs> sort of vibes. Yeah. Um. I one thing that's I mean, there's a lot of cool things about this game. I like the um. you know, it's all about um checking out like the Scottish Highlands. That's the name, you know, the name of the game. Um. It That's also in the music and in the dialect. Like the dialogue is like with a Scottish dialect, so I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. Like they really like committed to that exploration um, component of the game. But you are trying to go see your uncle, um, and you're like, I kind of know where my uncle stays at vaguely. It's like somewhere over yonder, and it's a light. It's like a lighthouse. Yeah. Like, right, like a, uh, where's that light? I mean, how could you miss the lighthouse? Yeah. I mean, how hard could it be? It doesn't look. It's the it's the kind of thing where you're like, I think I could walk over there, and then you realize this is actually. 400 Uh miles you know Um, you just described a non-trivial portion of my life yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) absolutely if you've ever been like i think i can walk that far this is the game for you um yeah and it's got some fun mechanics of um you know there's like weather there's like a hunger and fatigue kind of stamina stuff that you're um integrating but the real cool part of it to me is the way it goes about exploration because you kind of find these little hand drawn you have like drawing up like the map of the environment and trying to like spot oh it's i think it looks like this and then you're trying to kind of eye spy like what part of the environment the foreground the background is that and you're kind of zooming around and trying to like you're getting to these peaks right like a a huge amount of the game is like climbing to a certain peak which then lets you zoom out even further on what you can see in the environment and a lot of it is like i I describe like the way the layers of the geography is almost like parallax and like playing like old like 16-bit games where like it feels like you can see individual cut layers almost like a cake yeah um and that's like what's happening here and so it gives the the appearance of like a big sprawling 3d space but like it's really like you're shuffling a paper like in front of one another it's a very cool uh, effect i have not really seen anything like it in a game of this fidelity or like in in recent memory and so yeah you are like you can then shuffle around and sort of then mark a location like i think I think that's where I'm going. That sort of looks like this piece of paper that I have. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to keep going. And that's a lot of what the game is. Like, I guess I'm just going to keep going, even if I don't exactly know where going actually is. Yeah. And there's some cool, like, small choices that you get to make. I think the main choices are really just, like, the path you take, because certain journeys will also take X amount of time. And you need to accomplish the game, I think, in, is it three days, Patrick? Like, in-game days, something like that. Uh, The game posits a deadline yeah my understanding is that is a soft deadline okay i was uh, wondering that i'm like do i just die if i don't get that do i come bust <laughs> yeah i don't want to spoil too like i i read about it okay. um not to try and understand how it works but i i think the experience of what that means is probably best left for you to okay. discover as opposed for me to explain I'm, but yes okay. the game does start out with like i got five days and then as you're playing it's like Hey, the day's almost over. Yeah. Three days remain until you get to the lighthouse. You know, yeah, like sort I'm of like, how like it's mask not is that grim, <laughs> but it does for a game that is otherwise giving you the sense of like, I should luxuriate. I should be exploring. I should take my time. Who cares how long I get there? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but I said I'd get there in five days. 
uh, and I've got two days left. So <laughs> that tension exists, and it exists there for a reason. Yeah. Um, I have not actually hit that threat. I think I have three days left on on my soft deadline. Yeah. Um, so I haven't experienced that moment for myself. But that can kind of push you towards what, you know, how you think about the paths you take. Because, like, the further progression, you know, it would be something like, oh, okay, I'll go across this lake, which, like, she just kind of magically does, like, off screen, you know? But it tells yeah. you how long it takes. <laughs> like, I don't know, she walks across the waters. I'm not sure how she does mm-hmm. it. And then, you know, ends up somewhere else. I think there's also um, some stuff I've encountered, which, Patrick, I don't know if you've done. We played about the same amount, but I don't know if we've taken the same paths. Like, mm-hmm. did you check out, like, the fake Stonehenge collection of rocks? I where you could leave, so. like, an like, offering for a ghost would... or something? Well, like, there's all these sorts of objects you can pick up um, as you're exploring around. And very few of them are critical. Like, there is yeah. no... Cri- this game does not have a critical path. It just yeah. has paths. And so... Oftentimes you'll discover an object and say, do you want to pick it up? You don't have to. You can't. You can leave it there like, oh, this is meant to be part of the space. I'm not going to disturb it. I pick everything up. Uh, And like one time it was like I was able to use an object to cut something that it was able to grab another object. And so it it came in handy. But no, I don't think I came across the the spirit, the the supernatural (laughs) uh, section of the game. But I did have like a sequence where – like I went down deep into a cave and then like came out another side, had no idea where I was. It's a game where it's interesting that it has a framework that feels like there's a sense of stress and deadline because the game is constantly all the time being like, like, what if you just like stuck around and like saw what was over there instead? It's like, yeah, I know. And I do, I do want to see what's over there, but I should probably leave and I should probably, I should probably get moving. It, ma- it makes for a very fascinating uh, tension for the for the player. Yeah, um, mine was, and I like the um, the sort of whether it's fake or not. You know, remains to be seen. I'll have to see what happens when I fail because um, I don't think I'm making it in time. I'm taking too long. <laughs> I, keep, I keep walking back and forth, getting a little bit lost. You know, it's a uh-huh. whole thing. But um, I like the tensions of the time deadline. You know, whether fake or not, and also just like the environment and the need to occasionally she seek shelter because it sort of pushes me in different directions like that um area i'm describing i encountered i think it was um i was talking to a guy by the fire and he was like oh there's like this pile of rocks and like it's like got really good shelter or something and i'm like okay great that sounds like just what i'm looking for so i dipped on him ran down the hill found the pile of rocks and then like i think i saw like another note there and it said you can leave an offering for some form of spirit might be lightly butchering that part and they're like, do you want to leave something? They, they want like something beautiful, but I didn't really have anything with me. I just had my, I just had my I have house a keys. A rust, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took my house keys and I put them on the rock. I mean, those are personal. They mean, because well, I don't need them. Cause like, okay, well, my mom's home. When I come back, which I probably so will, because like I'm like 13. Killer. Am I what? <laughs> feels like a ghost. It feels like oh. the spirits might just like walk in and like and take, take her. Out. I mean, how I don't know where this is going. Maybe I guess I didn't. I didn't consider that part, but I left it there. I slept under the rock. I'm asleep, right? Screen pitch black. I hear something shuffling in the night, and I'm like, "Hello, is that the ghost?" And the ghost is like, "Look, don't, don't, don't worry about it. You ask too many questions." <laughs> kind of vibe. <laughs> and then the next day, it's just like it's as if it never happened. And it's like I like that just weird, trippy spiritual nostalgic stuff happens in this game like it is a a game that's just kind of about being in nature but i think at least in this early like session i've had with it it's also about like 
the ways that nature has nostalgia and meaning for the people that have existed within it. Um, and I kind of, I really like that aspect of it. So, oh, and the, the music's great. Like it has a like, cute little rhythm mm-hmm. platformer kind of mini game where you'll be yeah. running. It's like, I'm going to run now. Cause and this is such a little kid thing I do. Like, what if I ran full speed and there's like a deer running with you? And it's just like a really cool moment. Yeah, it's a neat, it's a neat game. We actually have a review up on, on the site, uh, for it, uh, that is, that is exceptionally well, well written, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to finishing it or seeing, <laughs> seeing if I die in a cave somewhere. I don't, <laughs> can, can you, I, I know it has survival elements, but, and the, and the characters constantly remind you like, oh, I'm hungry or, ah, oh, I should really rest. I, my suspicion is, I don't know this for a fact that like there aren't consequences but i like the idea that the game is giving the sense of consequences yes. which gives a momentum to the game um what was there was a game that i uh what was the game from a, a year or two ago that like conveys that it has a game over oh it was uh citizen, uh, citizen, citizen sleeper a game mm-hmm. that is like constantly like in a much more aggressive fashion be like yo shit like you, you you could fuck this up like you could die and like Slight spoilers for Citizen Sleeper, like, you can't, like, the game always, like, it's not that it saves you from your failures, but it finds a way to let you keep, keep progressing. But I, like, the fact that, like, I didn't realize there was a safety net, uh, it's, it is still effective as there being, like, a game over screen. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's something, I suspect there's something similar going on here. And regardless of whether I ever discover that, uh, and the way I never really discovered it in Citizen Sleeper, it's working on me and yeah. creates a real sense of why I should push forward. I think too, like the last thing I want to say on that note is I really care about this girl because something about the way they do the voice acting and the way they do the sound design and maybe just like how charming the art is and the fact that she's like, I don't know, she's just like a, a cute little kid who's like maybe on an on a pretty ill-advised adventure, <laughs> admittedly. But when she like falls too far and takes damage... I feel that in my soul. Like, it's not like it's super graphic. It's like her bones are crunching <laughs> underneath the earth or anything. But something about her being like, oh, I messed up my ankle. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, they I make feel you, it. They make you feel really bad because you'll, like, the, if it's raining. Yeah. Like, you're, like, it's very easy. Like, you essentially, like, kind of hold down on the analog stick to slowly bring her down a ledge. And then you know, sometimes you're rushing that shit. And like yeah. she slips, she's like, ow, my ankle. And you're like, oh, fuck. Like, it's I like re- the feeling of like a kid getting hurt in like a roller rink or something. And everyone turns and looks like, oh, my God, is she OK? Or, like the person <laughs> turning and looking is me, the one controlling the character. And I'm like, oh, I messed up. <laughs> and I'm like, walk it off, kid. I don't have like, again, I only have my house keys and I left it for that ghost. So I actually have nothing. It's an em- I'm carrying an empty backpack <laughs> on this adventure. Uh yeah, good times. I should. I really should finish it, and I'm scared that I won't because I don't finish things sometimes. But like, I should because I am curious, and it's not that long, so we'll see. I don't finish things sometimes. You, you, you know who you're saying this to, Janet? Like, you're it's a group of people that don't finish things. Hell so yeah. you're you're good to go. Is the is Highland Song good? I'll never know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it is good. You just might not yeah. finish. You just might might not finish it. But I I think we can unequivocally say that it's good, um, yeah. even if we don't see the credits. Uh, so boy, speaking of, uh, things that I'm unlikely to finish or I'm putting off, uh, let's see where to start. All right. So I'm playing some rogue trader. First of all, like mm. people have been talking about 40 K rogue trader. Uh, what is it? 
wasn't expecting basically somebody made shadow run uh 40k which is basically what that game is uh like early early impressions are like it is it is an rpg uh, it's a narrative rpg with like tactical combat uh it feels like what's the way to put this the, the, the other thing that reminds me about shadow run is like it seems like you know obviously they would have had to make a lot of choices about where they're going to put their production values and they made smart ones, right? Like there's a lot of things that look good. There's a lot of important scenes from characters that are fully voiced and sound awesome. But then there's still a lot of dialogue that's just written out and you can, you know, read through those conversations, but they're not fully voice acted. Uh, there's, there's, you know, lots of, lots of like lore and stuff you can pull out of the world, uh, you know, and as, as you go on your explorations, uh, the, the the pitch for it, and I'm, I'm not very far. I'm basically still in the you know intro sequence. I finally just got time to start playing it this week. Uh, you know when I was done trying to shotgun stuff for game of the year discussions, but uh, the pitch for it is like you are a character who has been called in to be the appointed heir of a um like a a, a rogue trader household, which is in 40 K world, uh, you know, the Imperium is like super xenophobic and like, it's, you got to kill the aliens. You got to keep everyone under the jackboot of tyranny to keep the even darker forces of chaos at bay, but you still need people to go out there and actually do business with these factions. You're locked in forever war with, and you have to have people go scouting beyond the edge of the Imperium to like figure out what's out there. And there are these like, rogue trader characters were basically you know they don't live under any of the restrictions uh the people in the imperium do and you've been called in you were you were the newly appointed heir of a particularly powerful house that like with their holdings because it's it's a colonial expedition thing like they plant their flag somewhere they own it uh and you know the the wealth goes back to the empire these are people who are effectively like running a little mini Imperium in themselves. And you are like the new newly appointed heir. Naturally, the day you get there, all sorts of dynastic shenanigans happen. A, a plot is, is, uh, unfolded shit happens, to, Rob. Yeah. They're, they're trying to knock out, they're trying to take out the, the head of this family and, and steal the, um, steal like the, the sigil of office for, for being a rogue trader. But you know, the way this all, you know, comes across is it's a lot of like, going through very lovingly detailed 40 chaos environments from like an isometric type perspective. Uh, and then, you know, looking at stuff, hanging out, talking to characters, uh, they do a thing that's kind of neat, which is there's a lot of passive skill checks where a thing will just pop up in a dialogue option. It'll say success because you have, because like in the background, a, a dice was rolled, uh, a die was rolled and you, you passed it. A dialogue option is there, but you don't have to necessarily like actually roll to see whether you can say this. Like the check happens. So like there's a lot of we're just not going to make this a active skill check. You have to decide to gamble on. This is the dialogue option you get because you like cross the, the threshold here. Uh, you, you pass the check that you didn't know was happening in the background. There are more impactful ones where they are clear. It's like this has a percentage chance. Do you, do you want to give it a shot and you hug your tooltip over that? And you know, at that point you, you decide how you want to gamble. Um, but yeah, the, the, the vibe is very, uh, very shadow run from the standpoint of 
there's some broad class archetypes, um, you know, you are working with. Uh, I like that party stats are collective. They do not make you like toggle to a different character to go past a skill check that's particular to like their their strength. From the perspective of the game, the party is one unit. As long as somebody has this like you know ability or they they know about this topic, the whole party knows about it, mm-hmm. um, which I do kind of appreciate. Like I understand why Baldur's Gate made a different approach with a lot of those things where it's like you're going to tag somebody in to go have a particular interaction. But I do love the simplicity and speed of just like you're zipping around. And as long as somebody's there, who's like, you know about this shit, we're just going to put that mm-hmm. into the, 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 the dialogue option. Uh, the tactics game. The other, I guess this is another way it kind of reminds me of Shadowrun. It's good. It's, it's not like, Nothing about it strikes me as like amazing as a pure tactics game, but there's a fair bit going on. Uh, there's a lot of it's a you know one of those like uh, variable initiative order games. So like once the fight rolls, you're gonna have a long you have long lists of like you know who's gonna go next, 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 and that's going to determine how you're going to play out the turn. Um, I'm like, I haven't encountered a ton of abilities that manipulate initiative that much. Uh, it's more that this is a game that runs a lot on, uh, characters have special abilities. They get to fire off once per turn. And this seems to be where the real like tactical art comes in here is like, usually those things, it's not just like an ultimate thing. That's going to, you know, wreck house. They're things that, are meant to help you leverage the other members of your party really intensively. So like once you fire this off, it's kind of about making sure that's going to trigger a round of play where you really want everybody to take advantage of this bonus uh, that's out there. It's like, you know, somebody like one character basically is like tossing a bunch of extra damage or a bunch of extra like movement on the ground. Uh, And you play your hands, right? Everyone's going to get, like that bonus, but you have to make sure that you meet the conditions to, to pull that off. Uh, so, you know, that keeps things fresh. It's got, it's also got a cool vibe of like your characters are 40 K like badass heroes and you go through normies, like a hot knife through butter type situation. This is a game where it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, like heretics aren't shit. Like these are just like, th- these are just, these are just people you're going to, you're going to carve up. Um, they're not meant to be opposition to you. Uh, so it's, it's got that sort of satisfying, like, woof, this is getting really bloody, really fast. Uh, you know, we're just, we're just covered in gore from our enemies. Uh, it's, it's really neat. Uh, and I think it does a good job of, uh, sometimes (laughs) what's the way I put this. There's a lot of really interesting 40 K novels that have like cool stuff about like living in that world. Um, like the, oh God, like Dan Abnett has written a bunch of these. Uh, he was also like the writer on alien isolation, but like he wrote entire, like uh mission impossible style, like novel series around like, uh, a group of like rogue spies who work for the Imperium who do all this a team mission impossible shit. Uh, <laughs> but there's also a bit of like private eye detective fiction that goes with it. And that's not stuff you get from a lot of your typical 40 K games, which are all like, 
the emperor requires that you take your battle fleet to the, you know, <laughs> and it, it's all of that pitch. It's all of that register. Mm-hmm. The tyranid scum are encroaching on our blessed Imperium. You must <laughs> cotter, uh, you must perform a cotterosium on the planet and, <laughs> you know, do all that shit. This is a game that doesn't do something I've seen a ton of, which is like, oh, yeah, you're just some character in this world. Like, you know, this is this is a real place that people have business interests in and like relationships and, and all that. And so it's it's kind of like a 40K video game with a different scale than we're used to seeing. I think it's gonna be something I play a lot more over break because it gets off to a really strong start. I can see why people are, uh, you know, really, really hyped for it because it does it does feel like one of those really fun tactical RPGs uh, that, you know, we don't get as many as we might like. And it, feel, and it feels like. One that is unencumbered by the expectations that Baldur's Gate 3 might conjure, which is that like uh-huh. everything has to have a million lines of play and, uh, you know, support a, you know, it has to be built out to an astonishing degree that like almost anything you can imagine can happen in this game. This is clearly not that kind of game. And that's satisfying, too. Uh, and mm-hmm. a well-executed one of these is is a delight. Yeah, that this game has gotten a huge reception. Um, so I'm, it's, it's cool to see that you're enjoying it as well. It kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, maybe for me, I mean, for me, I guess, but like, it's seen it kind of slip under the radar. And then when it came out, the reception has been really, we missed really the skull positive showcase this year. We need to really oh, book that with the video right. next year. We need to okay. make sure. All right. We, Cause I'm with you. I like, I feel like I should have known about this and we would have known about it if we'd all gathered up to watch the skull showcase. When right. is the skull showcase? Was that every year at roughly problem. the same I never, time? I can never track when it's happening. It's like, <laughs> oh shit, it's skull showcase day. Just ask okay. Vinny, I'm sure he knows. Yeah. I'll put it on. Well, Vinny and I talked about doing doing something again together as 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 a group. So we will it's in June. Well, the, June. oh, that's the one I think you did watch, June 2022. That's the one that I think you yes, did, watch did watch with Vinny. Together. Yes. Um, was there a 2020 the showcase? Oh yeah, it was. was in May, so it's actually coming up, uh, Rob. It's not that you missed it; it's oh, that we're looking. I, oh, it was towards. in May. What was happening in yeah. May? What were I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. No, I was probably I was probably not thinking about 40k. In yeah. That. No. But that does mean that we can put it on the agenda for 2024. So look forward to Hell next yeah. lander slash remap uh uh cross remap doing the skull showcase 2024 i'll put it on the agenda uh patrick you so you continue playing lucid are you going to continue after this playing lunacid yeah uh kato and i stream some <laughs> lunacid which is a uh a king's field alike um it's definitely a game deeply inspired by one of from software's Older franchises, King's Field, which is a first-person dungeon dungeon crawler, you know, following in the footsteps of, uh, oh, like wizardry uh, games, games like that, um, and uh, so yeah, uh, I don't so inspired hmm? that the one of the settings well, so, yes. in the options menu was a frame cap with specific frame rates tied to each of the Kingsfield games. So Correct. if you want the it specific is... field for uh, Kingsfield 2, you can get it to that 17 frames per second that the original ran on. Uh, yeah, so we chose... and Yes, it has frame rate caps for different eras of Kingsfield. Kingsfield 4 runs at 24 frames a second, I believe, yeah. uh, which is what we chose. Because <laughs> um, usually when you do like do a frame cap, 
it's usually you're just like, hey, I'm gonna let this game run as fast as it wants, even if it gets a little wonky, and I'll hope things like you know G sync or V sync sort it all out. Mm-hmm. And here it's like, no, I could run this at hundreds of frames a second. Like I have a good machine, and I'm choosing to 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 do it at 24 frames a second. I, I'm also choosing to. Uh, arbitrarily lock my movement speed uh, to walking so that I have to hold a button to run because that's what you do in the King's Fields yeah. uh, games. That is how it handles uh, movement. Um, yeah, it's it's really well done. It's uh, there. There is a there is a subtle or even maybe not so subtle art to creating games that are homages, like that are direct lines to a specific style of game. And Lunacid feels. It's not just loving, but it it fundamentally understands what's interesting about Kingsville. It's why those options exist, right? Mm-hmm. It's why a, like the frame cap option. It's funny, but actually, like that's how those games felt, and it that's how I want this game to feel. And so, putting that on actually allows me to like better immerse myself in this world that is very clearly trying to create something along that same legacy that from software has because they're cowards. We all know it. Um, it's what wow. people are always saying about from software as yeah. a developer, like just too scared they had to make to, another King's field. They game. had to see that AC six could work now that they know that it has Kingsfield is the next genre they're gonna the next you gotta you gotta imagine you gotta imagine yes it's basically um, asking to be made <laughs> God, and if they followed the same logic of Armored Core, and it's like, yeah, fuck you, we're not making a game for newcomers. We're just making a new one yeah, of these. Yeah, we're making a modernized version of these. Like, oh, shit. Uh, that, yeah, like, <laughs> what would that be? What would that be? It would be tremendous. Yeah. And yeah, so it's it's a very slow game. It's a very methodical game. It's a very uh, punishing game in terms of, like, checkpointing and saving. Um, it does do some quality of life stuff that you would expect that, like, a, a FromSoft would do if they were making a new one of these. Um, and it, it doesn't completely ignore what do you expect from, uh, you know, a modern game. Um, and what are what, like what are the friction points that are good? And what are the friction points that are bad, right? Like, I think yeah. FromSoft for, you know, uh, if you watch the evolution of the Souls games, like, they recognize – I wish they would do more, but, like, they do recognize certain friction points that are actual weaknesses or things that you would change if you were visiting it. They aren't just arbitrarily choosing to be archaic and obtuse for, the, like, the – like, sometimes they are, but not all the time. There's a there's a logic to their madness and and to their choices, and Lunacid, I think, actually follows that pretty deliberately and pretty well in understanding what does it mean to make a game like this in 2023 – and trying to find a really fine line between th- those two worlds, and and kind of, I think you would agree with me that they, the developer does a pretty remarkable job of of walking that line. Yeah, it, it's like in in like you're saying, it's about the making the right choices. Like there's a lot of things that uh, ultimately comes down to like bringing a very specific vibe, and like all the things that they've changed don't don't affect the vibe. The vibe is the same. No, even even yep. even if you can now. Uh, you know, you can attack a little faster because they're you don't have to. Your stamina isn't also tied to your running, and like that's important anymore. They kind of s- flip that on its head. Now you have to charge. You can to cut get, limbs off. Like there's, there's dismemberment. Yeah, that there's wasn't just, in that wasn't in Kingsfield, but it fits the vibe still. It's like 100%. if it had been in the original Kingsfield, that yes. could have been like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and like it's just yeah, uh, expert. I I feel like super well like so far. Super well um, 
designed to have as much Kingsfield vibes as possible while removing while 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 making it modern more modern than than like like yeah the limbs removing the 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 kind of movement speed is just a little bit faster like it feels mm-hmm. still still like a slow methodical game but it's just fast enough that it feels less annoying than it did watching yeah Kingsfield Kingsfield four right felt like too slow these... but you want it to feel slow so it's it tunes it in just a way that it's like relative to other first person games that feel like you're sprinting yeah all the time yeah it's not that you feel slow relative to where first person games are these days right. but it's faster than kingsfield actually <laughs> operated at. it's it's a lot of micro decisions that just add up to being a little bit more approachable while what while holding on to like the like magic sauce that the original Kingfields <laughs> games had that are didn't have to do with any of that right that had to do more with setting that had to do more with um being methodical uh you know the 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 sort of things that ended up being through lines through even dark souls as, as a series mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and like and and also with fun little twists where you're like Oh, like it's not just uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the 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 genre space is like at the beginning is like oh yeah, this is Kingsfield, which is like fan high fa- high fantasy basically, right? Like you've got your monsters and stuff. But then uh, near the end of the last stream, we found a VHS tape. In the world, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, we're like, wait a second, yeah, <laughs> what does that mean? And there's no way to play no, it or anything. Know. But it's like an item. Well, not yet. My guess yet. is there is. This My is guess the is there is. Gato. Is there uh, FMV integration in this game? I like, really, God, I hope I, so. God, that would be that would be the fucking. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the game with the top. budget for that. But uh, at this point, I would not rule it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, it's fun to see that 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 shell of. Um, that sort of structural shell of Kingsfield be applied to something, uh, some you know something new that's outside of that specific genre space. Even though it starts there, it's like even in some of the early NPCs you see are like that's that's kind of an anime girl. What are what's going yeah. on? <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. What are we playing with here? What's it what has kind a of different changes? sense of like it has a different sense of humor yeah. than yeah. from soft. Like very specifically, it has its own its own sense of humor. So it's it's not as though it is completely beholden to yeah well how does FromSoft do this like right. well, how do they draw their characters like how do they draw their world again it's it's the same wavelength it's the same vibes but it's yeah you know operating at its own frequency which is, and which is good yeah and it's a big pitfall that other games that do homages fall into it's just like i want to feel exactly the same as the old thing in all ways and like this is like we're gonna make the vibes exactly the same but change things to keep things interesting like to make something new because it can't just be you know it's it's the difference between a rote copy and like an iteration of a genre <laughs> um one of the things that you mentioned you played janet uh is one of the cooler things that that caught my attention during the day of the dev stream uh crypt master yes yes i played crypt master um is that out? this you know <laughs> no they have a demo 
Um, oh, I wish the, it was the, the demo. The I don't demo, know right. when. It, yeah, yeah, she yeah. actually went to Day of the Devs. Right. So. right well, thanks. I actually played it. I played it um, remotely though. So there's a lot of. Oh. Um, if you guys have watched, well, obviously you guys here have watched the Day of the Devs thing because we watched it together. But yeah. for those listening, um, if you watch Day of the Devs and you know we're really excited by some of those games, um, look them all up on Steam. A good chunk of them do have demos. I know Flock has a demo out, which I have not touched yet, but. Um, Cryptmaster was one of the ones that had a demo. So yes, I did go to Day of the Devs in person. I played some titles there. It was a fun time. There was a game that had a Joy-Con inside a roll of toilet paper that I was obsessed with. So oh, yeah. it was cool. <laughs> but because they also had demos on Steam, I'm like, well, let me knock some stuff out via those demos and stuff that I can't demo. You know, I'll do that in person, whatever. Um, but yeah, Cryptmaster, it's a game that we all saw and we're like, well, it's fun hearing the Cryptmaster talk. But what? is the game is it a like i you know typings involved so that was very clear but watching it my reaction was is this typing of the dead but like inverted where i'm guessing they i wasn't really sure but i picked it up i played it um the demo that they have out and i love it i love this game it is so cool so to clarify what the gameplay is as the trailer was a little vague in spots um it is an old school dungeon crawler so that's the movement you know it's first person really striking um, black and white art, uh, though you can change the color palette if you wish. Um, And you're exploring these dungeon areas and you'll open up a chest by like you walk up to it, you type chest. The Crypt Master then, you've lost all your memories also. A classic thing that happens to video game characters. Someone (laughs) really has to do something about that. Um, And the Crypt Master will open the chest and find an object by guessing remembering what these objects are you kind of like regain your memories and that's kind of how the gameplay loop goes so you can ask the crypt master a series of questions i think you get like i don't know maybe five questions most of the suggested questions are sense-based but there is a lot that the crypt master can do and then they do it to like the object so you can say like okay like touch it and then he'll tell you they'll tell you how it feels um, you can have them lick the object. You can have them lift the object. You can have them, you know, wear the object, like whatever you can think of. And with that, after you're out of guesses, you need to guess what the object is. And you have a hint in that you know how many letters the object is. So, you know, one object I found was a shield. So I guess shield, I got it right. That awards me a couple letters. The letters then go into fill slots that are written underneath you and your party members. You have, I think there's four of you total at the jump of the game. And by guessing the word underneath your party members, which you can guess that at any time while you're exploring, just type it out if you guess it, that's how you get your abilities. So, you know, a simple one you get that was shown in the trailer is hit. Fairly easy to guess. It's like, I got an I, I got a T. It's probably hit. And if it's not, (laughs) I can just put in all the other letters and I can figure it out. Others are a little bit more um, surprising, you know, like you have soothe instead of like maybe heal. Right. But I'm like, oh, cool. That's my healer character. So then you also kind of get a sense of because the characters do have like mechanical archetypes, it seems. So you can that can kind of help you figure out like, okay, I think they maybe do like magic. Okay, so maybe they have maybe this is, you know, what the word would be. Um, And that's the exploration part of the game. There is combat as well. You know, you'll encounter, you can see the enemies as they approach. So it's not like it's random encounters and that you just walk into it. Like you can see them coming Um, and it's real time combat. So the combat's interesting because like in the moment you kind of have to, and maybe you can open your menu during, I didn't 
experiment with it too much, but you kind of have to just think, oh my God, so what can I do again? Okay, I'm boot, hit, you know, so okay, someone's whatever. And it's it's a little chaotic. Um, But to me, I think that's the fun of it as you're kind of whacking into, you know, the enemies are essentially gremlins, goblins, you know, rats wearing boxes with axes in their hands, like funky little, (laughs) little creatures, little, little dungeon crawler people. Um, and they do have the option in the settings to turn on turn-based combat, which is cool, but they do, like, right in there, like, we didn't really mean for it to be turn-based, though, so, like, if you want to keep it real, we do the real-time combat, but Mm turn-based is an option for you, which I think is cool. I'm always a fan of when, um, I think there's something really cool about developers who are willing to take a step back from their own creative vision and acknowledge the ways that a player might prefer to engage with their work and provide those ways, even if they don't feel like the true way it was designed. So I think that I really appreciate them doing that. Um, and it was super fun. I streamed this game. Um, my community was super into it. Guessing the words was fun. Like as you take damage, like parts of your name fall off almost like in a reverse hangman fashion. Like it's just, it's really cool. And there's like a lot of funky stuff going on. The only gripe I have currently, and again, it's a demo, the release date just says 2024, we'll see when it comes out, is the audio settings were like super broken. I was like, bring down the the sound. And then they're like, what if I forgot you told me to? And it was blaring, you know, which that was a very stream specific issue. I think if I was playing on my own for fun, I wouldn't care as much because I have more, you know, control over that. And again, that's like a that's a quick fix that could just be even like a weird my setup thing i'm not worried about that it was just like if you play the demo and that's funky for you it was also funky for me but yeah i loved it also the crit master responds to a lot of stuff because they'll respond to your guesses and be like i don't know what that is or they'll respond more specifically to sometimes certain words that you put in so i'm super curious under the hood to what degree like how many specific like there's reactions there's to like wrong the guesses that feel like yeah. we anticipated you would guess that wrong, but here's a response yes. to the wrong guess. Yes, yeah. they have that in there. Not like for everything, but there were a few where I was like, oh, like That's really it neat. really feels like the Crypt Master is here with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. I, I love it. I think it's also just so cool to have a typing game that isn't about dexterity and speed. I love that, too, because I'm like a typing freak, but I I think it's, I also like word games and I like that this is more of a word game that has typing functionality than a, okay, like, can you, how quickly can you write this without making mistakes kind of thing? Maybe they have aspects of that later in the game. I don't know, but as is, it, it feels more like Wordle and you happen to use a keyboard than like a typing game in the more traditional sense. But yeah, it was super fun. Awesome. Nice. Uh, Last thing here, just a game I've been playing, and I've had higher hopes for it than have like. Basically, I've been um, I've been disappointed by two train games. You know, I love trains, and <laughs> put a train in something, and I'm like, hey, what's going on here? In one case, less than I'd like, and in one case, maybe too much. Uh, so the less than I'd like thing, station to station. Look it up. It's a really cute voxel art. Uh, like puzzle game dwarf romantic is the like point of comparison I would use where it's a it's train themed but it's not like you're playing like Sid Meier's railroads or something like that uh this is not railway empire or or anything like that it looks so cute it looks so cute (laughs) it looks so cute 
Is it fun? Is it good? Do I like no. it? Uh, oh no! So the pitch here is that you put a station by things in the world that produce outputs, and then you connect those to, like, for instance, you connect a wheat farm to a mill, and you connect the mill to a bakery, and you can connect the bakery to the city, which needs bread. So the wheat goes to the mill, which turns it into flour, which turns it into bread at the bakery, which turns into... And you connect, you make these connections. Uh, and that's kind of all there is to it. And there's ways you can ramp up. Like, for instance, if you make every connection but the one that, like, uh, for instance, when they introduce other things, like, uh, you know, there's, there's like, you know, coal mines and uh, iron mines and there's, like, mil- like, foundries. If you connect these things in such a way that, like, nothing can use these goods yet, like, you haven't bridged the critical connections that allow goods to actually, like, go to the place that makes use of them. If you can like create one link that suddenly bridges a ton of these places together, so that suddenly everyone gets their goods, you get like score multipliers and such, and that's how you run up the score on these on these um, maps. And the way you progress through the maps is you make connections; it unlocks like more locations. And the catch is that there's only uh, like four connection points the stations have. Uh, so like once those are used up or if they're blocked, you can't really use them. Uh, and so you can sort of lock yourself out of progressing through a level just because of like how you laid things out in, in the beginning. And it's cute. It's fine. But like the weird thing is, it's just, I didn't find the, the puzzles aren't like necessarily bad, but like was solving them that fun either. And kind of the answer mm. was no, right? Like, you do things like you only have so much money to build bridges or lay track. And so like routing becomes, you know, a consideration you have to take into account, but mostly money becomes a score. Like it's rare that you're like, it's, it's rare that you're actually blocked out from, from doing anything for, for money reasons. There's also a card mechanic that shows up here, which is like you play, you play this card and it's like, well now the next track you lay will be cheap but it's not that big a deal. Maybe the game gets harder as you go on, but I'm just not sure how much further I'm going to go on because it feels like if you stripped away the theme, if you stripped away these gorgeous, frankly, gorgeous art, these beautiful like voxel model train sets running, you would be able to diagram the puzzles as like really simple, like um, node to node puzzles where it's like, you know, it's like you could basically, can you draw, can you draw a path using these limited connections? Can you like, create a a path between these things uh Mm -hmm. you know given their their limited number of connection points can you bridge them all together and you're just doing that in a clunkier way because you're doing it on a you know little tiny little world map this way but in terms of seeing how these pieces fit together it doesn't feel like you're engaging with the beautiful art or theme of the game Mm -hmm. which is kind of the bummer like i think the thing kind of broke me was like I did a bunch of maps and I was like, I feel like I haven't looked at this game in like two hours. Like, cause you're just not, you're not zoomed in. You're not looking at like the beautiful little game. There's nothing to look at. There's no information to see there. Um, one, you know, wheat farm is much like another. So like it makes these gorgeous screenshots. I want to be in that world, but yeah, the, like the little animals, but the game doesn't let me like, <laughs> yeah, doesn't let me yeah. have that. Instead. I'm just like, 
slapping these little like railways together and like in a weird way in terms of like appreciating the world it feels like you know traditional railway business management games tend to be more invested in like studying what's going on down here and how are things going this uh yeah you're playing from such a zoomed out perspective that it just becomes very abstract and a lot of this like gorgeous artwork yeah uh kind of gets lost some of the like earlier screenshots on the steam page are like look at this voxel like beautiful there's a tilt shift situation going on it looks cute and miniature and then like a couple screenshots down it shows the zoomed out map view and it's like well all of all of that charm that you've been showing me is now kind of gone <laughs> like it yeah. is just right. about laying these tracks uh and it sounds like even that part isn't super compelling no no i think like you know you've had more fun playing ticket to ride uh sure you yeah know, than than this fun and game like yeah it, yeah uh and this this one i think is going for a similar sort of like isn't it fun to just bridge these connections and seeing how long you can do it but it it doesn't it doesn't quite scratch the itch and you feel like locked away from the from yeah. the art the other thing that i was way more hype on uh coming in was the last train home which yeah, is like that. it feels like we put <laughs> frost punk on an armored train uh the the premise Snow is that Pierce, like yeah. you are a group of it's like the end of World War One. You are trapped in the background. Uh, you're you're trapped in in Russia basically during the Russian Civil War. Uh, you are a group of like Czechoslovak soldiers who were basically turncoats against the Austro-Hungarian Empire and like the the Tsarist regime armed and outfitted you to go fight to liberate your homeland, uh, to go fight and liberate your homeland, uh, because that would undermine like the central powers. But then the czar gets knocked off the throne. And now world one's still going on. Like there's hostile forces to the West. There's a Russian civil war raging all around you. And you're this arm. Like it's basically, uh, you know, the Anabasis that you're, that you're playing through here. Uh, the, the story of like the, the Greek mercenaries marooned in the middle of a Persian civil war. And so your only way out of this is to go through uh, Russia aboard an armored train that you hijack and just try to try to get out and make sure that you have resources to keep the train running, to keep your soldiers fed uh, until you can get like one of the ports where you're where you can be evacuated uh, home. Uh, and I think the problem. Like there's things I like about it, uh, but, but like there's a couple of major problems. One is that it's a game of halves where there are company of hero style RTS levels you are going through, but they're not as good as a company of heroes level. Uh, so it's, it, it doesn't feel great to be taken away from the train management game to go deal with that stuff. Like as you go across the world, you send out expeditions to like, go check out this village, go do this narrative mission. The narrative missions trigger these little RTS missions that just aren't uh, that great. They're not that interesting. You're kind of playing a cut down, uh, you know, RTS uh, where you're like each of your soldiers has some special abilities. And then the heart of the game, stuff that's probably more interesting was like the, or what I thought would have been more interesting was like going to be the frost punk asked, ask like we're, we got to keep this train running. Uh, you know, get get across the world, make sure there's enough resources to keep everyone fed and healthy and and happy. Um, 
and I think that's let down by the fact that I don't think they, I think it's an example of like a clunky interface can just make engaging with all these systems just miserable. And I just like all your soldiers have like traits and personalities that interact with various tasks and interact with each other and open up possibilities for certain narrative events. But like there's so much variance but all of it's not that significant. So it, it feels like there's a lot of modifiers that can exist in the game, but they're also not that relevant. So it just becomes like kind of cruft that you take into account. But by design, the game also has to be able to just sort of smooth that out. Uh, if like a character's not a perfect match for a situation. But the big thing is like a huge part of this game is worker allocation. Who's going to be on the day shift? Who's going to be on the night shift? Who's going to be doing stuff? Um, and they consistently make it hard to get any sense of like what your roster is um mm-hmm. of like who can do what and it's further complicated by the fact that like your characters can't stop building proficiencies they level up up a couple times and it's like well this person can be a doctor now it's like okay i guess they're a doctor now that's that's useful mm-hmm. but like there's kind of no context for it. it's like you know 30 minutes ago this person was basically useless in a firefight they, they were good at like you use them to like catch rats in the storeroom or like shovel coal into into the locomotive rat catcher to doctor you know yeah to see it and so like it's it's a really it feels like a really ambitious game where it's like they're trying to tell this like really sweeping story of like you that map pull that that camera pulls back and you see like how big russia is and how little it feels like you've gone a million miles and you've you've covered nothing in that train. There's still so much between you and home. And it feels like this like sweeping historical epic story. And they sell you on that in a lot of places. Like the the vibe is very good uh throughout a lot of this game, but the two halves of the game both feel like they're undercutting each other, and neither really takes off. And so it's like it's it's an example of a game where like the big idea is really really good and to bring that real that big idea to life they created like smaller mini games that are nested inside of it and they don't hang together and those smaller visions for the game also aren't that compelling on their own and so it's like kind of it's it's been a bit of a disappointment you know it was like it's it's such a neat idea uh trying to get your like you know, company of troops uh, across this like raging civil war. And in practice, that means like, oh man, like which one of you bastards is rested? I just need to find somebody to put in this <laughs> worker slot. Uh, you know, okay, you guys go run around and scour this map for resources and shoot any, uh, shoot any bad guys you run across. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I played a bunch of it. I'm probably going to leave off here, uh, you know, somewhere, you know, in the, you know, in the first act, really, just because it's like the, uh, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like there's more that I can unlock that's going to make this hang together and cohere. Uh, before Bummer. we go, should we just hit some questions? Just real quick, little, little dip into question time. Just a little. Maybe a, li- a little dip. We're pretty... F- far <laughs> a little dip a tiny dip okay well let's just let's uh all right a couple holiday questions first jay asks oh this is interesting okay so sorry there's a there's a lot here but the main question was very good uh it's the holiday season here in the dark depths of the retail service industry and my mm. years in retail have ruined christmas music for me 
I find myself feeling desperate for some musical palate cleansing. What playlist or soundtrack recommendations soundtrack recommendations do you have? It was a game soundtrack that prompted me to ask the question, but anything will do really. But bonus points for anything wintry, cozy, festive, etc. As long as it's not something you would hear while walking through a mall. This is I said huh. like there are there are songs to this day, good songs. Yeah. That like from my time working in a grocery store, can't hear them ever again because like it just <laughs> that like three hour playlist, everything uh, on it. Like I just hear any song from that. And it's like I'm back in the back of a dairy section, <laughs> like surrounded by moldering cheeses. Hmm. I remember the Suffy and Stevens Christmas album being very good. Hmm. Um it's a decent uh, alternative mm. where you get some some festive cheer. But uh, I uh, that came out when I was in high school and I tried to play it while we were opening gifts one time. And like the like the whole family That's was not like, going to go. Boo, boo. And I was like, <laughs> OK, all right. Well, I tried to do something slightly, slightly different. That won't work on my kids either. I'm subjected to whatever is just the holiday playlist on. Uh, I mean, the songs are new to them. Right. So. Yeah. I have my tolerance. Just I just have to eat it. It's just I don't want to listen. Oh, excuse to this me song for anymore. putting on some different Christmas yeah, music. No. I guess you love those J I N G L E bells. They do. <laughs> they do. Those J I N G L E B E L S. Those jingle bells. Oh my god. Oh man. Yeah, it's tough to have holiday. I mean, there's. I think holiday jazz is always a solid way to go because I feel like that's not often. In the mall, like maybe yes. one of those breaks into the mall, but that's pretty safe while also being like a little bit more traditional and cozy. Cause like, yeah, like I like, you know, the the Grinch album that like Tyler partially worked on, but like <laughs> I don't think I don't know if that's the vibe though, you know what I mean? Like, um, I think I wanna say, was it was it chance? Was it no name? Like another group of like Chicago artists also did like some Christmas stuff, but it always feels a little I enjoy those projects, but they are a little bit like what if it was different? And like, uh, it doesn't always feel as I think um, authentic. And sometimes it's tough to also make like new Christmas music. Like I like uh, the band Beach Bunny and they have a song called Christmas Caller and I like it quite a bit, but it's not, you know, it's not as Christmassy. It's, it's hard to hit the level that the hits reach. So I think that Christmas jazz is a, a nice in between. Dave Brubeck has a great Christmas album. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, and also, this might be hard to find, but an NPR Jazz Christmas with Marion McPartland and friends is a compilation of like when she would have jazz personalities come through on the holiday season. Sometimes they would do a little riff on a uh, Christmas piece. Sweet. And there are some real gems on there. Uh, Christmas is just another day is like all-timer great depressing christmas uh song like just one of the best like man this season could be like gloomy as fuck <laughs> and this is like one of the best songs about that uh, but it's great it's a great album uh yeah christmas jazz uh absolutely critical this time of year um alternately another direction you do is you listen to if you want to go the patrick route uh there's the album titled christmas uh, by low, uh, which is a dark brooding Scandinavian band uh, that has like uh, there's one long way around the sea, which is this like gloomy murder ballad about the massacre, Herod's massacre of the children. Uh, it's basically a song about the wise men being warned, like, do not tell that man 
about Jesus. Do not go back to Herod. He doesn't, he does not, he does not mean the Messiah. Well, uh, so like great, great album. Uh, I think you can also, sometimes the way to get through this is to actually go back into like real traditional, uh, music. And I'm talking about choral music. Oh, like this is, this is the time to bust out. Uh, this, this is the time to bust out like your, your Palestrina type stuff. Uh, you know, just like there, there's tons of great, there's, there's tons of great music. Uh, if you, if you crack into like the discographies of like, uh, uh, Stila Antico or, uh, Vocus 8. Um, yeah, like those are, those are, those are some great, like a lot of traditional, like Christmas choral music, um, is just awesome to listen to. And, you know, effectively, it feels almost like ambient music. You don't have to really tune into it. It just sort of creates, mm. it perfumes the space. Uh, <laughs> it makes it feel cozy and Christmassy without being earwormy in the way that a lot of your iconic Christmas albums tend to be. Uh, last one. Easy question here. Maybe not easy. Waz <laughs> asks, I'm hosting my first party in my house for New Year's Eve. However, I don't know what alcohol I should have stocked. Any suggestions? Yeah. Uh, Martinelli's. Um, <laughs> really specific. I think um, a cheap lager of some form, like classic American beer, that's one option. I think a couple, whatever, um, maybe like just like a, a non-aggressive pale ale or IPA. There are people that like pale as an IPA. I'm one of them. I'm an IPA person. I'll drink Nothing like. Nothing wrong with that. I'll no, drink you're, like you're, super you're, bitter you're, beer. You're, you're, you're a, despite okay. the way that they have become associated with like. <laughs> Another fandom that's gone. That's you're gone good. Astray. Like most of the drinks, I, most of the beers I have are IPAs. Yeah. Like I know we okay. get, we get meme to hell of like, oh, it's super gross. And I get that people, some people don't like the bitterness of them. But that being said, I think finding something that's like a palatable pale ale or IPA. You don't want to go like into that. If this is like, you know, also it gets expensive at like nine ABV yeah. and you're just drinking like yes. acid. I mean, I'll, I do it, but not usually at a holiday party. Um, I think, um, freaking seltzers, slice them up of hard seltzer. Those are yeah. super popular. People like, like get it. I personally go with Trulies over like claws, but any type of one of those. Um, yeah. And then if you want even more alcoholic, drinks maybe like a hard cider i know a lot of people that like vibe with a cider especially like i don't know it's like a it's more of a fall thing but like a holiday season thing and then this is a lot of alcohol i don't know how many people you have to, i don't this could kill everybody it's so much alcohol. <laughs> um i personally really love a festive drink option which obviously like uh you know i'm kind of over like drinking from like a like oh we made this like punch a i'm punch. like ah, you like, know what yeah. i mean the punch gets a little gets a little <laughs> dicey but a holiday drink I love uh, that I just made for the first time last year is Coquito. I'm half I'm half Mexican, half Puerto Rican, and Coquito is like a Puerto Rican festive drink. The shorthand is it's like it's Puerto Rican eggnog, but you know it's made with way different stuff. But that's like a way to conceptualize it. Um, you can find good recipes of it. I think just on TikTok, search it up, look for someone who's Puerto Rican that explains how to make it. You might have a rough time <laughs> if you have to toss it into Google Translate because some like- of those measurements. 
Uh, punchdrink.com also has a really good uh it's a punch it's drink. a cocktail periodical but they Ooh. also have a really good uh like index of recipes yes. that's a good place to go so is imbibe magazine uh but yes like because uh, the problem with google sometimes is like this fucking seo bomb like carpet bombing websites that's yeah. like uh, you know, not not necessarily tasty, but you know what I mean, like res- like recipes.com or something yeah. like that. Like you never know what the hell you're gonna get there. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a good poll. I think the big question is uh it's real different for me, like what I would do, like I'm stocking a home bar for me versus yes, what I would like absolutely. have prepped for a party. Cause I think part of your responsibility as a host is make sure that party stays on the fucking rails. Like there's different <laughs> levels of like people getting wasted that you can be comfortable with depending mm. on how like, you know, once you trust everyone, how much like you trust everyone to be on like, you know, proper behavior and like have good arrangements to get home, all that stuff. But like if you're throwing that party, you're taking on some responsibility to make sure that like we're going to have a good time and we're all going to have a good time. Uh, and so I wouldn't necessarily be like, all right, well, here is the here is the counter of bourbons. Please drink deeply, my friends, because the problem is like I've been that guy. Believe me, many times where it's like you're you're standing there next to the home bar or more accurately next to the folding table with all the booze in the garage and you're chatting to people and you're having a great time and you have no idea, none, how long you've been standing there or how many little drinks you've had. And then you move and you're like, oh, man, I'm drunk off my ass. Like, how much? <laughs> Why did that step feel so weird? Did I have (laughs) while I was standing there? It's just standing there for like twenty minutes. You look, it's been like two and a half hours. So, like, I I think you know, there's partly a logistics thing of if you're going to serve cocktails, it's going to be really narrow menu because you're going to be serving them in volume, and you want them to be like you want to make sure people are like able to continue to like drink and enjoy the party without feeling like unwell or being like dehydrated and all fucked yeah. up. So like the, the party bar question is like kind of nuanced. Uh, yeah. and I think like, yeah, low ABV beers, uh, yeah. great. Um, you know, like a limited selection of like your, your easier drinking, uh, and not too like not too heavy cocktails yeah. is great. Um, especially stuff you can make in batches, uh, you know, like, you know, obviously, this kind of goes against what I'm saying, but like the Manhattan's just a bulletproof cocktail. Like you can't like <laughs> you, like it can be remade in a million different ways. Have too many Manhattans, things are gonna go off the rails fast. Yeah. But like this time of year, it is it's kind of a bulletproof thing. Uh, but yeah, I think the you know the the beers are good are good. Paul, things like made with like a decent amount of seltzer uh, yeah. can be can be fun. Um, and also like you know. Don't sleep on non-alcoholic options. I was going to mention that too. Like I, since the question didn't ask for it, I'm like, well, you know, but like definitely having options is, is good. Like LaCroix or some type of like seltzer, um, you know, you can do it like also non-alcoholic ciders. I think, um, you Liquid can even trick is, people with non-alcoholic beers. Yeah. My friends threw a party for their, their kids. Um, uh, like it was a backyard barbecue for their kids one year, your birthday. And they just tossed everything into one, uh, cooler, not on purpose. They weren't trying to trick people, but like now non-alcoholic beers have come so far, not just in flavor, yes. where they've become pretty convincing and taste pretty good, but they're starting to match like the IPA trend of like, well, now there's cool art on here as well. Yeah. And there was a couple of times I went up to people and was like, I eventually took the beers out, put them in a separate thing, put a sign on it. Cause I was, I asked, I was like, Hey, 
uh, obviously drink whatever you would like, but we've had a couple of people get confused where like halfway through they go, this doesn't have any alcohol in it because they just assumed it was yeah. like well, an IPA. The heavy drinker is taking all the non-alcoholic options. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was just being respectful. Not let everyone yeah. have whatever they want to have. But and that's both a compliment to where that like style of product has come, where you can you can stay have stuff that tastes good. Like looks kind of stylish. I don't and, know like, if you're Guinness guy. You had the NA Guinness. I was literally I about not. to mention the NA Guinness. I've heard think, it's remarkably good though. I think unless you're like you know someone who's hardcore like. I, you know, oh, I go to Ireland and I have the pint, like, because I know it tastes different there. If you're just an American and only had American Guinness, yeah, I think it tastes like one to one almost. It's like it's the most shocking. convincing. It even has the surge when you pour it. Yeah, oh, the, it's, it's, like, the, it's the most convincing non alcoholic beer I've ever had is the non alcoholic Guinness. For taste, though, I really like, um, Lagunitas's, like, it's like hop all day or like it's something like that. It's, it's clear looking. So that's kind of like yeah. odd. But it tastes incredible. Um, so I really mm. like that one. I know like the, not the athletic because it's the name of the site, but there's like an athletic one that exists that's really popular. I only had like one of them and I don't like it. But yeah, I do think that I've seen has, the athletic ones everywhere. Yes. Like some yeah. friend, some family brought it over for a family party. Like two different people brought yeah. like six packs of it. I feel like it's like the dominant one, but like. I haven't cared for it yet. I mean, I just haven't found that. I feel right like one. it's become trendy in the way that, um, like, white claws would be. Like, yeah. Now it's, but that's so funny, right? Where now you can have trendy non-alcohol. Like, that's re- that's re- like a really encouraging trend where it's like, yeah. I think that's. I think you're just getting that because it's the popular one right now. But you're saying that about a non-alcoholic, dr- <laughs> like that, like that's good. Yeah. And it's in a society of t- of like horrible things. That is a good trend, like for to have translated to, to the non-alcoholic section. I think too, as like a last thing, I think Liquid Death is like the best fun water for a party because it does look like a beer, and I feel like mm-hmm. it's great to have anything that incentivizes people to drink water more. I feel like is good. I'm sure, people <laughs> will be like, oh, it's just this is just the new bo- how we had boxed water back in the day, and that was it's. Th- it's like, hey, people are drinking more water, and at a party, sometimes that's like one of the best things that people yeah. can do. So I, I feel like that's my, that would be my hosting water of choice because I feel like people will actually drink it. And, and you want the water to feel nice. Cause yes. otherwise if it's like, Oh yeah, you want some water? I can just get the tap. What do you for mean? You. You know? Nobody's <laughs> yeah. drinking that water. Nobody's yeah. going to be like, hmm, do I want a fun chill beer? Or do I want whatever came out Pour of your tap? Or a glass from the Brita that I'm like, I don't think this Brita is really doing anything. I gotta be honest with you. I've read some articles. I'm like, I don't think it's really filtering. <laughs> uh, no, no, sorry. The no, Brita, <laughs> the, the Brita is an MVP. No. The Brita is real. Are you serious? Yeah, um, the Brit, no, the Brita. Sorry, the Brita is hundred percent real. Taste okay, it. <laughs> I heard some. Yep. I I heard some things. I don't know. I'm still using mine. I don't care. <laughs> so hey, listen, you're you're on LA water, right? Yeah. You can stop using the Brita. I think you'll I think you'll find yourself going back to that Brita. It's your not order. that the Brita doesn't do anything. I know it changes the water, but I heard that like as far as it filtering out certain bad things, it doesn't necessarily. Like, oh, like that, yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. it, like the Brita's improved flavor. That's what flavor. I meant. Yes. Yeah. No, the, if people are like, the Brita makes the water healthier. No. That's, that's the thing. not what that is. And I think is. they're like, you know, I'm like, hey, I've gotten a lot of money from different lawsuits over the years. Toss Brita onto the pile. I'm still going to use the product. I don't care. Oh, God. We've got another one. <laughs> Can't talk about that. I don't want to give it back. <laughs> uh, I, well, how do y'all feel about... Uh, because they said this was spe- was this specifically generic holiday or like specifically the like thirty first like New Year's party New Year's Eve yeah. New Year's Eve 
I feel oh, like for New Year's, this is the thing. As a host, you're going to have to provide champagne. Like, yeah. and a non-alcoholic yeah. version of champagne. Martinelles, yeah. get that. That shit's great. Yeah, but it is tasty. beyond that, I, f- I, I often feel like I want to do BYOB in those situations just because there are mm. so many different tate uh like uh wants and needs at this point like apart from like yeah look like i hate ipas i would be lost at your party right i was like fuck i I can't drink that and like i feel you (laughs) yeah but like it's like i don't know it it's a fucking expensive time of year man like buy a six pack that you're gonna buy at home anyways bring two or three of them to toss into the fridge to the party and like everyone's a little like happier with their night usually than one person have to dump a shit ton of money into alcohol specifically like i I understand like the food thing makes more sense just like you're gonna provide like you know little hors d'oeuvres or stuff for the night like you get your your classic new year's hors d'oeuvres or whatever um and like if you're already doing that adding the the alcohol fee on top of it it's just like i'm getting champagne the one that's important is like this is the thing for this event uh everyone else please just bring whatever you want to drink because sometimes people like uh i recently uh had to switch i can only drink uh hard seltzers and hard kombuchas now uh can't do the wheat stuff anymore uh i can't do things that are cocktails that have syrups like i'm off sugar uh and it's like wow my drinking like at a regular ass party my drinking options are very like nothing so i'm gonna have to bring my own thing anyways uh hard kombuchas fun taste tasty uh like like those now (laughs) uh no that's a that's a good point the yes the like hey like people bring what you like to drink is also a good move and also like it helps address that problem of like people encountering stuff they don't drink very much and then like not knowing how much they're like it, it helps that yeah. too where it's like people are right. in their comfort zone uh the thing you mentioned about syrups though also great option for non-alcoholic like if you got good seltzer and then right. like you know a bit of tonic syrup and a twist of lime, like that's ninety percent of what drink. people want from that's a That's basically a sprite. <laughs> but fuck here. So it yeah, feels like a cocktail. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> I never did this, but if you like there was this movement like it went, I don't know if it happened everywhere, but there, like in the Boston cocktail scene, there was a movement where there was a lot of people making shrubs uh like ten years ago, mm-hmm, which were like mm-hmm. almost like vinegar based like cocktails with no alcohol content, like but they had the complexity of like a cocktail. It was really fun. I gathered like because there's so so much volatility with the the drink, it tends not to like it's hard to make. But for a party mm. situation, it might be worth looking up like some shrubs. Uh, but either way, yeah. Um, a lot of options there. A lot of options. Uh, hopefully, some of this advice is is useful. Um, yeah. the The main thing, I, the main thing I would just avoid is like, unless it's people I know well, I'm probably not just putting out the trough of like hard liquors yeah. and just like seeing uh, yeah. what's happening, see see what's going to happen. Um. All right, so that will conclude an episode, a year a, a for year. Remap Radio. Uh, our theme half song. Half a year. <laughs> half a year, but you know, it, it's, it's the end of 2023. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, we, we will see you in the new year. 
Our theme, our theme song is by Two Mellow. You can check out his work on twomellow.net. You can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. You will also see uh, over the coming weeks people's Game of the Year list, lists uh, popping up on remapradio.com. Uh, so... Be sure to check that out during the break if you are if you're curious to see how Remap and Friends uh, sort of sort of rated the year. Uh, let's see. I think if you are listening to this on the Friday comes out, you might still be able to catch uh, either live or the very recent VOD of uh, Patrick Cotto and myself playing Lethal Company. Right, mm-hmm. a game I saw I know nothing about. <laughs> It'll be you fun. Can. Yeah, th- that's even You're better. <laughs> I assume it's a management game. So mm-hmm. we're going to be doing business sim stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, collecting things. That part's right. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, so be sure to check that out on Twitch. Uh, we'll be back next week with our Game of the Year episodes. Uh, for the first Part one, at least. One. Yeah, and then uh, we'll be back next year with, hopefully, another year of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend uh, some of your time with us, and thank you for your support throughout what has been a pretty uh, dramatic and interesting year (laughs) uh, on a a lot of axes. Uh, It's much appreciated. See you next year. 